Hello and welcome to episode 296 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 27th of September 2019. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. Hello. It's just you and I sat <laughs> with our own bottles of whiskey that we individually brought <laughs> in a house neither of us live in. We have several bottles of whiskey and we're sitting quite far apart in an otherwise empty room. <laughs> If you want a mental image of this cozy setup. Yeah, I think if you get the full picture, it's like, um, there's no, there are no walls, floors, or ceiling in this space. It <laughs> extends kind of forever, except a kind of ominous, sort of faintly humming inverted pyramid in the far horizon. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, or like the platonic ideal of a podcast. <laughs> exactly. Just the bare minimum. Just two dudes and an endless plane. <laughs> and whiskey. Mm. We're actually in, um, uh, we are in Marsh's endless, boundless plane, but uh, he's in Germany. So we let ourselves in. And, uh, and now this is all that, that, that remains in the, <laughs> in the pod. Um, podcast. Yeah. So, uh, we will discuss computer game. Good. But, <laughs> however, first is necessary to discuss subs. Yeah. I, I feel like the news this week ish, um, to me at least was, so Apple Arcade launched and the, with a lineup of something like 60 games, um, with I think another 40 to come or a hundred total in the first few months, I think is the plan. Uh, as a knock on effect of that, a bunch of those games came out on PC as well, because the deal with Apple Arcade is that it is, um, exclusive, uh, to on mobile or basically it can't be on, if you, if you sign up with Apple Arcade and you know, they want your game and they, and they give you the money. Um, that means you can't release it on Android and you also can't, uh, include it as part of any other subservice, but that's it. You can release it on PC at the same time. You can release it on your Epic store, Steam, um, mm. switch, um, and all this stuff. And I actually just saw that, uh, what the golf, which is, um, uh, is out now in Apple arcade. It's part of the launch lineup, but it isn't on PC yet. When it does come to PC, it's going to be an Epic store exclusive. Um, or at least their website says it's coming to Epic store and doesn't mention Steam. Um, and it also had a fig campaign. <laughs> and so they must have needed some money <laughs> to make the game. It must have, uh, taken some doing to get that, uh, to work. But that's the kind of a, uh, cool thing about Apple Arcade, at least, is it's not the things they're buying up and they're commissioning some of these games, like not the What the Golf, I don't think, but some of these games were just commissioned from scratch by Apple to be hmm. made for this service. And, um, uh, their deal does not, prevent them from releasing it also on pc which is kind of cool um but it's there's been a big discussion uh uh, basically there are multiple concerns about uh subscription services um one of which is uh this was rumored about apple's thing i don't know if it's true about apple's thing but google play uh, sorry google have just announced play pass which is going to be basically the same it's a five dollar subscription thing with a bunch of games included on on android's uh platforms uh, but their thing they have set up front is that developers get paid by playtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the noise the internet made. <laughs> or the game Confused developer Twitter door? made. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, where I, I, somebody's post, I can't remember who, who this was, but somebody said that was defective. Like, I've known this was coming for a long... Or I've seen this coming for a long time. This is kind of the death of the kind of games I make. Um mm. Uh, because I want to make short narrative games and I don't want the player to play them for more than their duration. Um, and so, yeah, it, it disincentivizes a certain kind of game. I actually, so like I say, people have sort of, I've heard rumors or people have just been talking as if that's the model for Apple as well. I haven't seen any, uh, actual reporting of that. Um, 
And I was just listening to the, the Kotaku podcast and Kirk Hamilton was saying the same thing. He kept hearing people say, talk as if that's true, but did some research and couldn't find any evidence that that's true. Uh, so I don't think we know how Apple are paying people. I thought it was just a lump sum because I've just, again, rumors, but I've heard that the lump sums are good. <laughs> it's mm. like, it's worth it just for that. Um, and I even, to be honest, in some ways, it's a bad look, but I almost think it's not that relevant because I can't see it amounting to much. I, I got to believe that the upside of doing these deals is going to be a lump sum like the residuals i mean looking at like spotify what artists make from that it just is always doom and gloom or only right. it's, it's pathetic residuals so you're saying so you're assuming that google are paying a lump sum but then they're getting subsequent pay based on yeah playtime? I, I don't know um i don't know anything beyond the fact that playtime is relevant in how you get paid for the google thing um but yeah if apple are paying a lump sum and even if they are adding some extra onto that for playtime, I bet it's not significant compared to the lump sum you get. Um, and if I was them, I would think I would just pay bigger lump sums. I think I wouldn't give anybody, because as soon as you give them a slice of, of it, you do kind of need to know what slice they yeah, right. They should be getting, and there's no good way to do it that doesn't disincentivize some kind of games and incentivize other kinds of games. And I think one of the goals of Apple Arcade was to actually like break through the problem they, they had with... Um, uh, basically free to play dominating everything premium games can no mm. longer be made. There's a certain kind of game that you can't monetize in a free to play way, um, without kind of ruining it. And so this is a way of fixing that. Like people just pay $5 a month. Yeah. Uh, Apple pay the developer and, um, that can work. And it certainly frees the games of all the, the burden of that stuff. Um, but of course the flip side is the developer, there's a cap on what they're going to make from it. Um, and it's harder to, uh, become independent if you weren't mm. already through that. I think there are probably some developers who are doing this who are already financially independent, and this is going to be a nice little deal for them where the development pays for itself and then they carry on being independent. But if a lot of developers are living, you know, uh, deal to deal, basically, you know, the, the last deal paid for the last game and now they're back at square one, they need a new deal to pay for the next game. And this one, from what it sounds like, Apple have, you know, completely funded some of these games. And so that's great. Um, but if after that you don't get any significant revenue from it, you deal back to square one again and you've got to mm. do the same kind of dealing. And presumably um, that doesn't necessarily explain how Apple go about selecting which games are going to get fully funded. Yeah, that's the other thing is it's, we're back to the days of gatekeepers. Like, right, now and, but more corporation, Yeah, it's going to basically be a kingmaker and, and a gatekeeper and a kingmaker. They're going to mix their metaphors and basically just pick who gets money. And I mean, if you make premium games on mobile, um, then this news must have been a, a very mixed <laughs> reaction uh, where like if you get picked great now there is a way to actually make legit money from premium games on mobile if you don't get picked there's even less of a way to make it now like it was already hard and now there is a bunch of premium games that people can get for five dollars a month um and yours isn't one of them uh, yeah it's gonna extra suck yeah right because it, it's sort of it feels like one of those decisions that someone in Apple's position can make, which is that if you search games on the app store, because you want something to play, it's a garbage fire. A lot of times there's some great, there's obviously a lot of great stuff, but it's hard to find. And if you download the wrong thing, it's awful. And there's, you know, issues with copycatting and, uh, all every, every problem that free to play, uh, mechanics introduce or in app purchases introduce. And this circumvents all of it, but sort of, totally at the expense of any new developer presumably entering that 
space, yeah. right? Yeah, like it's hard it, to see how a first timer gets in on this. It, it feels like it feels like, and, it, and it, to be honest, it feels like a limited venue for like if you have what you are confident is a a really amazing idea. You know, something that can you know, I don't know, prof, you know, succeed for your business beyond uh, the sum you would get to to make it or recouping its costs with a, a profit or something. So it sort of feels like it's the like an ideal vector for maybe like a studio of a certain size that doesn't want to grow much or like a side project every now and then, right? Like you've got an idea that's not really a big game, but if Apple want to give you X to, uh, you know, turn it around, then maybe that becomes worth it. Like it's sort of, it's, it's strange. Like I wonder if that will have a kind of, um, this is a bit, maybe a bit further out as a take, but like, a bit of a chilling effect on the maybe I don't know I'm trying to think I'm trying to think what it would take to succeed because if, if if getting a, a really amazing selection of games on your iPhone is kind of as simple as like this $5 a month outlay that kind of solves all those decision making problems for you then if you're a developer who doesn't want to be part of that but does want to succeed and let's say that you're an established developer with the resources to succeed how good do you have to be to kind of overcome people's natural tendency to just be happy with the five dollars they spent this month and the yeah. stuff that furnishes them with yeah that's the thing that uh is uh potentially uh scary for me um is so App- apple arcade means you're going to be on iphone ipad um mac and apple tv apparently i'm not quite sure how that works uh but the fact that they're going to be on mac means that they'll probably a lot of these games will come to pc as well uh, but more directly PC relevant is Xbox Game Pass, which is, um, mm. uh, PC as well now. And that they've sort of established that they are serious with that thing by uh, making Gears 5 a part of it. So that's like a major flagship release for them. And it's just part of their subscription service. Just if you have Xbox Game Pass, you just get that for free. And of course, Outer Wilds was, um, uh, part of that. I think that was before Game Pass was on PC. Mm, I think it was. I thought Outer Wilds was epic exclusive on pc at least at first yeah um and then outer worlds is also on xbox game pass and that is on pc so i think if you're if you're subscribed to that on pc you're going to get that just you know as part of your subscription and humble uh monthly is a subscription service where you get like i don't know if you haven't looked in on that recently the stuff that you get for that is kind of crazy it's you know it's uh significantly better than a humble bundle every month because it's it's major triple a stuff as well um and I've long worried about that thing where, like, I look at it and think, if I'm subscribed to this, why do I ever buy another game? <laughs> and if you're subscribed to that and Game Pass and Apple Arcade or, or something on another service, uh, it really is going to be a, like a deluge of, of games where even if you have quite particular taste, there's going to be um, good stuff in there for you. Um, and so even more than, than it already is uh, the case, you if you want to sell a game for money, then you've got to make it a sort of must have. It's got to be something where people just like, I know I'm paying like $25 a month for all these fucking services and I'm getting more games than I could possibly play, but I must have this one. Mm. And that's, that's tough. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that is, you know, it feels like in a way, a return to a far more extreme form of curation than even existed previously, because, you know, in the, in the more heavily curated days of steam, that certainly had a king making power just by virtue of like, you're on that platform and you're in people's eyeline. 
and you're part of Steam Sales, then it's likely to do far better than if you're selling through your own website, right? Mm. If it's that era of indie, or even if you're on Xbox Live Arcade and people are having to exchange real money for Microsoft points, which they then give to you, and then you get some beans and you give the beans <laughs> to a man, and the man speaks to a parrot, and the parrot opens a window, and he looks through the window, and then there's a sack of gold, and that's as, as far as I understood it. You how take 600 came. beans at a time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you have 700 beans, you can't get the other 600. Yeah, well, yeah, and you know, they always structure it so you end up with some redundant beans which is the yeah i'm glad that system's mostly dead now <laughs> yeah <laughs> feels like um, you know and this is the thing because on one hand it's it's sort of it feels you know like these are, are good deals and it, uh, it makes me happy i think to think particularly when triple a games show up and things like the microsoft the xbox game pass because i do think that the cost of entry for those kinds of games is getting very very high and the cost of making them is very very high and it feels like a not entirely sustainable business model to be honest and so you know if figuring that out and giving people access to them and making sure people play those games and developers see a return that is sort of um maybe relatively secure i like a game can't flop massively because they're relying on the fact that they they pretty much understand how many subs they have and a game would probably have to be pretty terrible for it to suddenly like <laughs> evacuate subscribers who are already a lot of people are unsubscribing yeah exactly so that is probably good for the stability of that part of the industry if it works it's interesting actually because the i mean yeah i agree and that sounds potentially like a cool thing but I, i'm just remembering now that um i read a fair bit about the tv renaissance or golden age or mm. you know the, the era of prestige tv um and how that all came about and why there's there's so much good tv now and there's so much money being paid to make it um and it basically became a kind of gold rush for uh networks and now netflix and and other services to lock down uh series where people will pay the subscription just to watch that one thing mm -hmm. so like that's you know what hbo hopes will happen um and so everyone is, is willing to gamble huge amounts of money to, to make these TV shows that are just really good quality. Um, and, uh, on the assumption that if it works, then the people who like that show will just keep paying for your service for as long as that show runs. And it won't run forever, but by that point, they'll probably, it's become a habit and they won't, they won't leave. But we don't really have that with games. Like there, are, I mean, there are God, franchises, I guess, but do you know who's, Oh, God, I just, I just I had a really kind of sad thought just occurred to me. This mechanism is, was built for Bioware, old Bioware. <laughs> it, it, like imagine, you know, people always said at the time Mass Effect should have really been episodic, like a TV show, you know, uh, you know, Star yeah. Trek episodes, basically. The, the way to do, like, you know, the thing that would probably keep people hanging around in a, let's say an EA subscription or something like that would be, Every year you get the new installment of this story really attached to it. In the meantime, you get a whole bunch of games that are all right. And there are <laughs> enough bonuses for staying subscribed for a certain amount of time yeah. that you stick with it. And, and yet their attempt to do a kind of game as service version of the Bioware formula was Anthem. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. I always feel like we're, we're finding out what the business model should have been after the fact, <laughs> yeah. like a little bit too often nowadays. Yeah. Someone else is saying that this kind of thing probably would have saved Telltale. Mm. Yeah, probably. That's, even if they didn't have like a single long running series that went for years and years. Uh, I mean, they likely would, but uh, also 
even when one of their series ends, you know that there's going to be another one <laughs> from a completely different IP that will have a similar format. Right. I wonder if it would have, like, so the interesting question is, would it have saved Telltale? Uh, I keep not being able to say that. Or um, more specifically, would it have saved them from the position they ended up in, which is making too many things at once for too many different parties? Yeah. Because would that pressure have still existed or... Maybe one of the benefits of a subs model is if you have one thing that keeps people resubscribing, you're actually actively disincentivized from at, from diluting your own resources and making a second thing that's bad or a second thing that makes the first thing worse. Like, you know, I, I have pretty strong opinions about, uh, Benahoff and Weiss, but like, no, but midway through Game of Thrones, there wasn't necessarily a lot of pressure from HBO, like, make another one now, make yeah. two at once so we can charge for two of them because that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good argument. Telltale was just really badly managed, and <laughs> they would have been really badly managed even with a whole load of other financial options available to them. But yeah, it was interesting. So I, I've I've subscribed to Apple Arcade. I have an iPad, and uh, the psychological effect of like going through those sixty games and just knowing I have all these and that's it. None of them will ask for more money from me. Mm. Uh, I installed like seventeen things just immediately. Um, and I installed loads of things that I know I wouldn't have installed. Uh, not only would I not have bought these games if I'd seen them in a store, but even if they were free in the store, I wouldn't have installed them. But the fact that they're part of this thing, A, it's kind of a recommendation. You know, it's the, the mm. benefit of curation is they've been chosen for some kind of reason. All of the stuff I do know already from Apple Arcade that's in there is really cool stuff. Um, like what the golf, which is, you know, at every event I've, um, been at for the last, uh, two or three years, uh, what the golf has been shown and has been a huge crowd pleaser and it's just immediately funny and cool. Um, and Overland, which I'll talk about later, uh, which is you know, absolutely gorgeous, um, uh, strategy game. And there's so much good stuff in there that when I, when the stuff I haven't heard of, I'm like, Oh, I give that a shot. There must be some reason it's mm. in amongst all this great stuff. Um, and yeah, so that's, it will make people much more interested in trying these things. And actually I was listening to, um, uh, the dialogue box, uh, Gwen Frey's podcast. And, um, I think, um, I think it was Chris Slight, a co-host, a usual co-host, um, was saying that uh, he played Outer Wilds just because it was on Xbox Game Pass. Like he would, we would never have bought that game. He just, um, it just didn't seem like his kind of thing. And then because he already, it was included, he tried it and absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of scope for stuff to, stuff to get attention and get love that otherwise won't through this system. Mm. And I think, like, ultimately, it, it is provided that the, the, you know, games are provided at a good rate and the games continue to be good. And with those caveats, like, it is a more kind of player friendly system than a lot of the alternatives. It takes a lot of the pain away. It takes a lot of the expense away of playing a lot of interesting games. But that is, you know, and, and that is partly at the expense of, um, Apple, who you have to imagine are taking a loss on this and in the initial term, depending on what the terms of those deals are. Like, obviously, if it's a massive success, it'll probably start recouping quite significantly, quite quickly. But, you know, so they're, they're, they're investing, but also, you know, the, it, I suppose it limits the potential for the App Store to act as a place where people discover completely new developers necessarily yeah Yeah, that's true and i suppose the um the what i'm kind of wondering is like well it's two things 
what is the place where that will continue to happen? Is it itch? You know, like where, where will new developers emerge? And secondly, you know, do a sufficient mass or is there an audience of sufficient size who are interested specifically in seeking out new work or new games or, you know, innovative games to, for that to be sustainable, like, or for it to sustain those people sufficiently that when they come to work on a project that could catch Apple's eye or Google's eye for one of these platforms that it's sufficient, like this, yeah. you know, is this a stagnant pool is basically what I'm I think trying to figure actually, out. Actually, one thing that's going to be interesting is, um, uh, that the thing we keep seeing time and time again from the games, uh, world at large is that the ideas that absolutely explode come from nowhere. They come mm-hmm. from the little teams that, that, um, weren't expected uh, that you wouldn't have bet on until you saw what they're making. And even sometimes when you saw what they're making, you think, is this going to work? And then people play it and like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, saw that with, uh, uh, PUBG and, uh, mm-hmm. obviously Dota originally and then auto chess more recently. And, um, that just keeps on happening. And even things like, I know Epic were quick to lock down satisfactory. Um, mm. but I think that is, uh, their eagerness for that game was, I think, informed very much by the success of Factorio, which I don't know if they would have locked down Factorio if that had, had not been on sale yet and they didn't know right. that this, that game just made like $20 million, <laughs> mm-hmm. like immediately. Um, or not immediately, but they, uh, they've never been on sale on Steam, <laughs> which is, makes it really easy to calculate how much money they've made. <laughs> mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's almost a reassuring thing in that, that there will still be, I think, for, for all of the future that I can foresee, uh, for as long as Steam lasts, there'll still be phenomenons on Steam that blow up out of nowhere and the Steam audience mm. will be sort of hungry for them. And to be honest, if that's, if you're going from your PUBG to your auto chess to, uh, whatever the next big thing is, I wonder if these subscription things even tempt you. Like, do you give a shit about Gears 5? Are, are you? Kind of right. Yeah. I think, I think you're right that it's like, it's a, a mechanism that will support developers in the middle, basically. Like, mm. not such a tremendous success that one title or, or, you know, one run of titles is enough to kind of keep, keep things bouncing along. Like, I sort of wonder about like maybe a company like Clay. Yeah. You know, who maybe don't need this because actually that hot like, lava is in Apple Arcade, which oh, is, cool. I think Clay published that game. I'm a little bit confused as to its. Because that was being developed outside of them, and then they kind of brought it on board. Yeah, that's like I was actually thinking of playing that for this week, but I played other things instead. Um, that's the sort of Counter Strike jump map. Yeah, it's, it used to be called the Floor is Lava, and I think there was some reason they couldn't call it that, so now it's just called Lava. But yeah, that's the concept: is the floor is lava, <laughs> and basically that's it. You jump, don't, yeah. don't touch floor. Floor is bad. <laughs> the game, but yeah, like, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like the for a for a, a big indie like that. I wouldn't be surprised if these platforms were not mega appealing for anything other than maybe like a side project every now and then. Yeah. Like actually I, I guess that's probably why Microsoft bought double fine is to be, mm. to make game pass games basically. Cause yeah. it's, I think it's a hard, I don't think you look at double fine and think, yes, we need to buy them for the massive profit that their next game will make when, when it's sold on steam and uh, various other mm. places, but it's, they're much more of a prestige kind of thing. I mean, that's going off, um, uh, off just what they've said in their own documentaries and stuff about how they're forever struggling for funding for the next thing because they just never seem to cross that like mm-hmm. mega hit threshold. They have a lot of games that are sort of successful, but not enough to fund the next ones. Mm, so something like this might be a lifeline because then it's about sort of the cost of running that studio, right? Yeah. Like the, you know, the, the example I was thinking actually was 
it was sort of maybe if, if something like this had, maybe this is actually a question. If something like this had been a possibility or been around when you were working on, for example, Morph Blade, do you reckon you might have considered it for something like this? Like, yeah, I actually, uh, did. <laughs> I mean, that is what we did with Morph Blade, kind of, in that, um, it was a humble debut. Um, and it was very much a case where I was already working on that just as a fun mm. free project. And it, it just got to the point where I thought that actually this is probably good enough to sell for like five bucks. And then Humble were often, I'd always have meetings with Humble where they'd tell me about their various, uh, offerings like Humble Debut and Humble Originals and mm. the subscription thing and the, the Trove, uh, which is where there's like an archive of games that you can get access to if you're a subscriber and the Humble Debut is a thing where all humble monthly subscribers get the game, but you're also allowed to sell it on other services. And actually immediately I didn't have to wait or anything. Um, and, uh, so I went to them with Morph Blade for that and they said, yes. So they basically paid me a lump sum just to have it in the, uh, just to give it to all humble monthly subscribers, but without locking it down to that service. Mm. Um, so that was really nice. They've actually, I think they've stopped doing that particular deal. I think that now it's something different, but, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's perfect for that kind of thing where, um, mm. and I think I, I mean, I didn't want to, um, uh, basically I think it, it's probably paid for itself or I don't know, <laughs> Wolf Blade. I didn't want it to be a thing where like the, the only value to them is that it's a thing by the developer of Gunpoint and, or the designer of Gunpoint, um, uh. And that's it. And it has no sort of value in itself. Uh, but I got figures on how many people redeemed it. Um, like, uh, and it was like over a hundred thousand. Um, and I thought there was a mistake or I thought that it must mean that, oh, there's just one key for the whole bundle and you, everyone redeems that. And this is how many people redeemed the whole bundle, but it wasn't actually, that was from Wolfblade. So a shitload of people played it. Um, so it must have had some appeal. <laughs> Right. And then, but it's, it's kind of impossible to reverse engineer what that might have meant for its hypothetical sales if it were yeah. in a bundle because p- people. It was, yeah. It was great for me because I wasn't going to put any effort into marketing this. It was a yeah. side project. I was, or, I was, that was in the middle of heat signature. So I already had a main game I was working on. Mm. I wasn't willing to do that for heat signature. Um, and, uh, so it's perfect in that way because, uh, yeah. And they don't care that I'm not going to especially market it because for them, it's just, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous because Humble Monthly, I mean, they do it a really weird way where you can't know what you're going to get at the time you pay for it. They only tell you what you've missed out on. <laughs> you're only told what you just, what it's you're just too late based for. marketing yeah. system. And so nobody subscribed to Humble Monthly on, on the, uh, to get Morph Blade. Nobody did that intentionally. Nobody who subscribed to it, um, knew they were getting Morph Blade if they did. <laughs> we can only guarantee when, when they, they were, we knew no one wanted this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a perfect thing. Well, I don't want to market it. You don't want to market it. <laughs> they, these people shit. don't want to buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the ideal system. <laughs> it's like, like reverse psychology capitalism. <laughs> uh, like the, I find that, yeah. So it feels like there's a, there is a structure there, which is that, you know, um, a cool thing about this. And I appreciate we've been talking about it for a fair while, but like just trying to figure out what its impact is. Um, I do think it's, it's potentially, closes some avenues to success but the one of the things there is that those avenues have been so fraught with problems for so long that this may actually you know and, and ultimately what you could argue is if if the app store for example just continued to be really difficult to find consistently good games and if you're a parent for example kind of yeah. difficult to assess on a fly if a game is going to be um exploitative or or inappropriate 
any of those reasons. Um, one of the effects of that long term is it might ultimately kill that marketplace. And if that happens, then there is no, you know, way in for anybody. So something like this, ultimately, if it is helps more people find more games, may well be a good thing, but it'd be interesting as well. If it, inc- if it, it provided a kind of financial incentive for the cool kinds of experiment games or side projects or kind of in between project projects that studios, particularly indie studios, um, put out. Right. Yeah. Like I don't, and, and the cool thing about it is I, I don't know what the lump sums involved are, but I would suspect that they're not necessarily going to be high enough to substantially, uh, change the strategy of AAA publishers, for example, right? Yeah. Like you probably have a, a team or a couple of teams that you already did dedicated to creating smaller games for download services and things like that. But it's unlikely to be like, oh, this is the future. We're just going to, we're just going to lap at Apple's teats. That's a confusing food. There was a food metaphor right there. Um, <laughs> and it went, it went in a different direction. Um, <laughs> we're just, um, we're just gonna, yeah, we're gonna, um, Take a bite. That's where I should have gone. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that was right there. <laughs> that's what you do. Take a bite. Don't do that to a cow. Or if you do, it's called eating beef. Is it different. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. It's fine. The, um, um, and therefore maybe that space remains open for longer for indies and kind of smaller studios to just continually make a bit of money by generating cool stuff yeah. without tremendous risk, really, apart from the risk of it not getting approved mm. should we talk about the goose game we should talk about the goose game. i feel like <laughs> this the, is... the goose in the room yeah, it is um yeah. and he's here um the... <laughs> special guest <laughs> hark <laughs> all my objects are gone and I, I really feel compelled to stand up and look for them now i'm thinking about them a lot um we should talk about the goose game because i feel like what we've what we've managed to execute here is um uh, half hour of good old industry <laughs> chat, uh, before we talk about the goose game, what has now come out. Um, so we've both played Untitled Goose Game pretty much all the way to the end. Yeah. You were at the end. I have, uh, I've played my fill of it in that, um, I got to a, a an end of sorts. Uh, <laughs> but I don't want to say too much about what you're asked to do afterwards, but I, after I got a taste of what I was needed to do to sort of properly finish it, I was like, eh, I think I'm good actually. I'll just watch. I, um, I actually very much enjoyed that sequence, but what I was going to say is, is that we're not going to spoil goose game things. Cause actually it is, I think quite a spoilable game. Yeah. Graham made this point in the chat we were having and I agree. Um, it's, it's not spoilable in that there's a massive twist um, you are not secretly in a coma, you know, <laughs> although <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the goose, uh, is not actually a kind of memory of a car accident or something like this. This is not what it's about. It's a literal goose. <laughs> it's a goose. You're a goose. Um, but the, it's, it's so fun, full of like small interactions and little situations and, and, and things that it's, it's nice to kind of discover it as you go. In fact, yeah. I was actually kind of disappointed, um, that, um, one kind of nice moment for me was actually even spoiled by the cover image of the review on PC Gamer. <laughs> um, just, you know, so some of those things where, I mean, I imagine it's been a week since it came out. I imagine a lot of people have played it now because it's also not especially long. It's about three hours long. Yeah. And it seems to have really caught on. Like, man, oh yeah. Everyone is, is talking about it and just a, a sufficiently good joke about the goose game will get you 18,000 retweets. 
the moment. <laughs> I, saw, I saw an incredible, did you see there's an incredible tweet today where someone had done Goose Game, uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses mashup art. <laughs> no, um, that sounds so like was, absolute Twitter dynamite. It was, it was Fire Emblem Three Houses in the Goose Game art style, <laughs> but where you're the goose. And it was, it was, it was things like, I can't believe how cruel this game is. And it was things like, you know, Bernadetta, the extremely scared student standing at the edge of a pier with the goose behind her and like press x to honk (laughs) (laughs) i'd play the hell out of that game um yeah i mean well this is the thing right when 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 untitled goose game was announced everyone in the entire world immediately realized that it was the best idea for a game anyone had ever had and um and it is out and i don't think it's it's perfect or anything but it, it kind of it's one of those things where it's exactly the game i was imagining the very first time they revealed it in that trailer, right? There was no sort of mystery. There's no mystery to what, to what it is. We should explain what it is in case people don't know. But, uh, so basically it's Hitman. Um, and you're a goose. That's it. That's it. <laughs> it's you, uh, you have a to-do list of, of things to mildly annoy the, the people in the village. Um, the, the one line pitch, which is brilliant is it's a lovely day in the village and you are a horrible goose. And, uh, the ways in which you are horrible is just a, a list of things like get the groundskeeper wet or rake in the lake. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lake, there's a rake, put the rake in the lake. <laughs> and, and to do this, it's, it's, um, it's physics driven to like a fairly yeah. specialistic degree. And as a goose, you have, you can press X to honk. Um, you can, uh, run. You can flap your wings. This doesn't do much. You can just flap. Um, and you can raise and lower your neck and bite things. That's it. Mm. Like those are your goose verbs, basically. And it's, it's funny actually, it is physics-y, but it's actually not, I mean, in a way, the sort of the proto one of this is goat simulator, right? Mm. Many, many years ago, where it's like, ah, you play as this, this, um, farmyard animal. Uh, but that was like embraced the jank and it was, you know, messy and all over the place, um, uh, intentionally. And that was the comedy. This, there is plenty of comedy in it and it is to do with the physics, but it's not the physics going wrong. It's not like, mm. oh, look at this dumb interaction. Actually, it's incredibly convincing. <laughs> mm. That's part of why it works so well is like the goose really looks and moves like a goose and, uh, dragging something along uh, as the goose, like both w- running away with like just a pair of spectacles in your beak is inherently funny <laughs> yeah. and also just like dragging a really heavy object that someone values a lot is really funny <laughs> and especially when they're chasing you there's just so much inherent comedy to it they're just like a goose running away with an object while someone chases them is always funny it's funny yeah you're absolutely right it's it's it works because it's it's so it's in a sort of um sort of untextured 3d art style you know sort of mm. lightly abstract cartoony but it's um it's a great example of how sort of abstract art but quite realistic animation and sort of very carefully um very carefully sort of uh handled animation i think particularly kind of makes it it has a lot of verisimilitude like you both get the emotional like even though the human characters don't really have faces and they don't really speak they sort of burble at you um everything's very um has a i'm trying to think you know there's it communicates a lot of a sort of attitude and feeling with with how everything is kind of received yeah. by everybody like the way the goose the goose moves like a real goose but that's but because geese have a kind of threatening swagger you have a kind of threatening swagger yeah. and everything from your like creeping motion or like when you're dragging something and your your bum's wiggling as you're kind of getting away <laughs> like i love some of the stuff they did with because they actually have quite a hard job to communicate what the people are thinking and doing because mm. the people have, have a really difficult job as well which is when you 
mess with their shit and you drag their stuff around and you you can do a lot of very destructive things and very few of them are actually irreversible even sometimes when you break something that's not irreversible someone will go and fix it um and uh so the npcs have to go around and fix this stuff but at any time while they're fixing it you can be breaking other stuff you can mm. be flapping at them you can be honking at them and just, which surprises them and they have so much they need to communicate about what they're doing why they're doing it what they're going to do next and how they feel about it and there's even stuff like um there's different animations for uh i'm uh i'm chasing the goose and i've lost them <laughs> versus I know damn well where that goose is, but I can't get to it. <laughs> like they actually have a little like kind of oh dang kind of fist, uh, yeah, not a fist pump, but like a a fist swing. When you're off on the like, pot, when you're back in the canal, like honking at yeah, them, or you're under a table in the pub, and they're like I know where the fucking goose is, but <laughs> I can't do anything about it because under a table. This is so. I think this is one of the things that, like one of the things that's really profoundly lovely about it, particularly as a stealth game, because it is it's a sort of stealth puzzle game, is that. You're right. Almost like we talk so much in this podcast about stealth games and immersive sims and the consequences of actions and lethal versus non-lethal and stuff like this. Goose Game is kind of an amazing answer to some of those issues. Not in a, not in a way that, well, actually, I think Hitman could benefit from this. I think every, I'd be, I'd be really, I'd really enjoy playing almost any, any stealth game, Dishonored or Hitman or something where everyone just wish you would shoo. They don't want to kill you. They don't want to catch you because the, the, one of the problems in stealth games often is, um, being chased is exciting. Being caught is boring because it's like yeah. if you're caught meaningfully, it's like I'm back to the checkpoint or whatever, and I'm just redoing it. And most stealth games, you can fight back, and that yeah. is usually just a bit janky and not very satisfying. Or if it is satisfying, then you kind of wonder why you tried to sneak because yeah. you know it becomes an action game. This is great because if people it doesn't matter what you're doing, if someone sees you, they're just going to shoo you away. <laughs> and it is it can be annoying to be shooed. It can interrupt your goose plans or <laughs> or like you know set the whole things off goose to do list. Yeah, exactly. It can it can it can disrupt your your kind of what you're aiming to do but they won't even chase you very far they just shoo you away yeah. and then back to normal and i would i would love to know what hitman played if it was like that no matter how violent you were being just like you know you're a oh, huge the bald. damn assassin got in here again get him out of here <laughs> yeah, exactly. someone's chasing you with a broom like get out agent 47 you're just jogging away your pistols out like no put that away give it back give it back give back the poison come on you got that from our cupboard yeah, if it was yeah. your poison fine. show me what have you got <laughs> a knife <laughs> <laughs> like and and that is part of its mood which is that every, you know you do some horrible things like to people because you're a horrible goose but everything is basically uh fixable apart from that young boy's mind <laughs> yeah yeah i'm, I'm not it, okay with what we did to the boy <laughs> yeah. um yeah the boy who I, I was thinking of as griffin mcelroy the entire time <laughs> um uh, purely on the basis of resemblance but like um yeah, like you can trip him over and then he drops his glasses and you can steal his glasses. And one of the, this is an example of the kind of thing you would, you would do as a task. It's not really a spoiler is make him wear the wrong glasses by stealing some glasses from a shop and putting them next to him while he's trying to find his glasses. Or when you really just there to play for your own kind of, you know, twisted kind of amusement, you can do what I've done, which take every pair of glasses in the world and throw them in the canal. <laughs> that boy's blind now. <laughs> And, and I'm a goose. Like that's, um, but the nice thing about it is the behavior of the NPCs, which is in some ways kind of feels a bit more dynamic than NPCs in a lot of stealth games is to just wobble about with no great sense of urgency, resetting everything you've done. Yeah. 
And like, if an NPC figures out that you've thrown all the glasses in the canal, they'll go and get them and take them back. And, and you can manipulate that. You can use that to distract people or to, to handle things. But it also means that like, um, puzzles and interactions and the, the sort of tasks you're asked to complete are const- constantly resetting themselves back to undone rather than failed. Yeah. Which is, um, and there are, you know, as you complete tasks, the world, the state of the world changes slightly, which often open up a new area and, and that kind of thing. But it, it's never like, um, and this is part of the humor of the game. The, the things people do are always futile. Like, and this is kind of a nice, you know, cause it could be that you could make the bad version of this game. I think where you try, you mess with a particular person too many times and they leave or they yeah. They close close up shop or something like that, and you can't get in there anymore. They go get a gun and they shoot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, whereas you know, one of its—I uh, don't think this is where well, one of its light running gags is eventually someone in an environment will make a no more geese sign. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and this is this is of no effect. You can often steal the sign. Yeah, who is that sign for? <laughs> like, it's not um, like somebody brought this goose to you. <laughs> the goose arrived of their own accord. And it's like, yeah, there's this sort of light haplessness and also harmlessness to the, I mean, the thing is you do cause quite a lot of da- property damage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like there's, there's, I actually get the impression that like, the goose would cause more damage if it could. <laughs> like oh, right, it's, re- yeah. it's really maxing out the damage it can do. <laughs> you can do some really pointless, spiteful things as well. <laughs> like, um, you know, and one of the, and then the other nice thing it does, which I think, um, actually shows that it, it could, even though it's this sort of two to three hour initial experience, I think you could expand it in a bunch of ways because one thing it does is, um, all of the different humans in the cast have a different personality. And so while they have similar behaviors fundamentally, like fetch object, put object back, etc., how they feel about it and what their priorities are in a given moment are all different, I think. Like from how aggressively they will chase you to what they like to chase you with to whether they li- like there's a that child that everyone in, who has destroyed basically <laughs> is afraid of you. And that's one of the reasons why it's very funny at first. You realize how horrifying that is. It's like, <laughs> like, and so you honk, they run and you can use this to manipulate them. Yeah. Like you can herd them basically. Um, the thing you're saying about it sort of not escalating in the same way that other stealth games do. Um, I remember them giving a talk at Fantastic Arcade, uh, in which they, uh, showed a video that was one of the inspirations for the sort of not the the original starting point for the game because that was as we've probably seen a photo of a goose <laughs> there's a there's some screenshots of their chat log out there from their company chat log from when they first conceived the game where one of them just says i think our next game should be about this it's just a picture of a goose <laughs> they just list all the things they like about geese the most um including the whole animal is just two colors <laughs> uh, but anyway they i think uh, a more direct inspiration for the actual mechanics of like what is a game about a goose like uh was this video of a woman who's trying to sweep leaves out of a panda pen mm. and it's, i think it's baby pandas that they're, they're really tiny and they love the broom and they love the pan and they love the leaves and they love her and they just roll into it and just it's it, they are endlessly scuppering her. She cannot do this job. So they are just for for minutes and minutes at a time. They are undoing all her work, spreading the leaves, spreading the leaves around, um, rolling in them, um, and she's desperately trying to un, like get all the leaves back in and and undo what they're doing. And it, 
they said like one of the things that's struggling about it is this never escalates no matter how often they do it she'll never like actually do anything about this problem <laughs> she'll never like kill the pandas or, uh, or give up like she will always just keep on trying to do this thing and they will always keep on trying to mess it up and so this is like a model for a stealth game where it doesn't get out of control like no matter how much you mess up no matter how much you succeed uh, no one dies nothing goes away this uh, whole setup is still there for you to play with yeah right like you can get into some sort of kind of frustratingly not like not frustratingly but like sort of slightly mad scenarios like i've definitely been in a position where like five different people were all looking for me at the same time like <laughs> um you know and i was under a trellis honking and they're just hanging around question marks above their head like society has broken down because <laughs> <laughs> like no one really knows what to do anymore um but yeah, you're right. Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't end. That's the crucial thing. It's just sort yeah. of you like you fail lightly. Things don't go quite well, right? But the thing you were trying to achieve was not like steal the nuclear codes before the bad man <laughs> can blow up the moon or whatever. It, it was just you were trying to steal this guy's slippers and he saw you this time. So you just honk and run off. Like you scuffle yourself. Like I decided that I really had to honk at the same time as I launched, sprang this trap that I'd been very carefully laying for somebody. Uh, but honking ruined it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've ruined this for myself just because I didn't need to press honk, but I did because you, you just enjoy doing it. Like the flapping yeah. button, which doesn't really serve any purpose yeah. except to show how big your wings are. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I mean, the, the classic thing is like after you complete a task, just honk at the person who's now annoyed at what you've just done. Like, <laughs> you just ruined their day. And just, while they're examining the damage and scratching their head, you just go honk. <laughs> Just to underscore, yeah. <laughs> like, that was me. I did mean to do that. That wasn't an accident. And there's, um, and there's also a lot of sort of like quite analogous where the physics comes in, sort of forgiveness in its systems as well. Like if you steal something from someone and run away and they take it off you, you can often just walk up behind them and snatch it back out of their hands and run away again. Yeah. And like, you know, there's this sort of, it feels, it, it seems very, very tiring to be everyone else in the world. <laughs> yes. And you are completely at liberty, which is actually kind of um, different to how a lot of stealth games feel, where you are always on edge all the time because everything's very high stakes and everyone else is at relative rest. Yeah. Like, you are creating anxiety for everyone else in the world <laughs> because you're this chaos element, basically. I really liked the neighbors section. Mm. Where you have access to two different people's gardens, they are neighbors. They, uh, it's apparent from their garden and from from kind of what they're doing that they're very different people, and they have a kind of pre-existing relationship with each other. And you get to kind of mess with that as well as you know a lot of the things you do. They know full well a goose did it. <laughs> <laughs> other things you can kind of get them pissed off at each other, um, and that it's a, it's kind of an interesting space as well where there's ways the ways to get between the gardens are one way. So there's there's a, a way to get from garden A to garden B, but that's different to the way you get from garden B to garden A. Mm. Um, and just mess, if you take something from one garden, put it in another, that neighbor will take it and throw it over the fence. <laughs> so they won't, you know, usually people diligently put things back exactly where they were, but when it's like their neighbor's shit, like I'm not going to put that back in her garden. Mm. I'm just going to hurl it over the fence. <laughs> it just lands wherever it lands. Yeah. The, um, I do like, I love the, I love the way that people sort of, they're really annoyed that you're there, but, they really don't like, I think we've said this, but they, they won't go beyond a certain point to express that. Like if you've taken something, they'll probably chase you for a bit. But if you're just looking at them, they just look at you. Like this, there's one of the things I think is really crucial about the animation is even though it's not, you know, the characters aren't super detailed or anything, you know, people heads turn when you're, you know, walking around, they track you kind of relatively, um, uh, realistically. And that again is, is a sort of interesting inversion of how stealth games feel because, 
it's like you don't give a shit about their site cones really like sometimes you got to wait till they're elsewhere to kind of pull yeah. something off but that's one of the other things that uh lends it its character is you don't give a shit if they see what you do you just need to get away with it yeah like and, and sometimes you need to prevent them from undoing it for enough time for you to achieve whatever your mad goal is but like you know it's like and because it's really funny and because I don't know if you're necessarily like an underdog in that world because you apparently are the master of it. <laughs> like no one, no one can meaningfully stop you from ruining everything. Um, but because, because of how it's, you know, how you're positioned, it feels fun to be seen doing everything you're doing. It's not a failure of the theme or the fantasy. It actually is the theme is to be like, honk, I've done this. Ah, and run away. Like, whereas if, you know, other games that have toyed with the idea of like, you're a stealth villain. Like there was the goblin one, his name I've forgotten. Uh, yeah, I know which one you mean. And none of them sort of embrace the idea that if, you know, cause this is a game where you're a stealth villain. That is kind of what it is, but it also embraces the idea that it's, you yeah, don't give a shit about if you, being being seen or anything like that. You just need to get away with stuff. If you completed your objective without anyone seeing you, you'd feel sort of empty about it. <laughs> but nobody saw what a dick I was. Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the point? <laughs> Occasionally, okay, well, the, and then the exceptions to that are when you, there are a few examples, and I won't spoil them, but a few examples of times where you can um, swap something around or do something so that the person doesn't oh, yeah. realize a goose did this for some yeah. reason. Um uh, one, the other thing I was going to point out is so after that initial three hours ish sort of runtime, it does kind of let you back into the world with a, uh, an expanded set of stuff to do. And this includes some even more dickish things you can do to people, including that child. Um, or you could have done them initially anyway, but it's like, do this, now do this. Now lock him in here. <laughs> like, um, but there's also things that are just really playful and because the environment's really full of little interactions and often you've got to get, you know, buy yourself time to do some weird, pointless little show of goose agency. But it's a testament to how many weird little things there are that you can, you can do in the environment that aren't, don't have any point, like, uh, putting umbrellas up and then people having to put them down and then you can sneak up behind them and put their umbrella up again and then they <laughs> put it down and you sneak up behind them and honk and put it up again. And you just keep doing that for 10 minutes because it's fun. Like, I found myself with the neighbors. Um, so a lot of things after you've done them, they're checked off your list. And uh, I'd, I'd put the guy's slippers in the fountain. <laughs> I think I put one in the fountain. He doesn't actually mind. He will get them back from there. But um, uh, I eventually got the slippers away from him. You have to steal both of his slippers. And so uh, like you can only really do it one at a time. So after you steal the first one, you have to make sure you can't get it back while you're trying mm. to steal the second one. You kind of need to go back to, to a relaxed state with only one slipper. <laughs> and uh, once I stole the second slipper and, and took it away from him and he was resigned to being barefoot, that's your goal. You've got to get, get in barefoot. Um that's checked off your list now. And then I picked up the slippers and took them back to him and put them in his sight range so that he would pick them up and mm. put them back on his feet <laughs> just to kind of say, like, I didn't actually want to like leave you permanently barefoot. <laughs> I was yeah. just having a bit of fun. I had this one character later on who I genuinely felt bad for because it's a character who will do a range of activities based on what's around them. And I took away everything that caused, <laughs> that created this character, gave this character joy. I, I should point out, I still don't really weirdly feel guilty about rendering that child blind, but this one really bothered me <laughs> because it's a character who will interact with a few different things. And, and if not, maybe sit down and, and, and play the harmonica and stuff. And, oh, okay, yeah. and I, I stole 
everything <laughs> and dropped it in the canal. And so, and it got to this point where he would sort of stand up, look to do one thing, go like, ah, oh, and then look and then turn the other way and go, ah. Oh. And you can tell one of the ways it communicates to you what a character might be doing next is they'll think about the object that they're going to go yeah. find or think about an object they've seen that shouldn't be where it is. Yeah. And so they'll go and do it. And he was constantly thinking about objects that he couldn't get and go like, remembering oh, a happier time. Yeah. When remembering he when he owned possessions <laughs> before like the redistribution. Would, would one of those things be his stool? Um, I, I didn't manage to get rid of the stool. No. Okay. So he could sit down. I should have done that. But like, I did stop bringing things back because I've genuinely was like, I've got to move on from here and you're not my least favorite person in this environment. So yeah, you can have this back. Fucking burly man. Though, burly man. Fuck fucked. burly man. <laughs> anyway, I don't like, I, I do want to stick by what I said, not like completely give away certain situations and things, but Potential yeah. Potential episode title there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. Well, and on that note, like I think people on Discord already pointed this out, but, uh, this is a game with absolutely off the chain pip energy. Um, <laughs> and I would say I wanted to add as a personal note, I feel very profoundly seen by it because, well, I mean, people have, you know, someone was joking that, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, maybe the podcast is late this week because Pip was busy doing mocap for the goose, etc. <laughs> no, I'm every other character in that. Game. <laughs> this is my life. <laughs> Have you got your fist swing in frustration oh. animation? <laughs> yeah, all it needs is a, is a sequence where, I don't know, you're in a house or something, and there's a man with a beard just very, very, very patiently painting a goblin. <laughs> and then... Honk! <laughs> <laughs> and he ruined that goblin, and he puts it down. He, you know, and he gets a different one. He starts doing that. And then off, you're running off. You're running off to the canal with his second edition copy of Codex Chaos Space Marines. Oh, it's in the canal. Splash. Like, do you, do you have separate animations for, I don't know where Pip is and I do know where Pip is, but I can't get to it. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. Well, well, and I have a very specific animation for where, where is Pip? <laughs> I can't hear her and I can't see her. <laughs> and then honk. It happens again. Um, I think my phone just buzzed and that's probably Pip mm. because she can always tell. Um, but you know, so, um, we should probably check in with her next time she's around to, to, I don't, I don't think she's finished it yet. So right. there's that, but you know, it, I, I suspect game will recognize game in this really specific, <laughs> specific regard. Untitled game will recognize untitled game. Mm. I think if they were, if uh, maybe this is a bit of putting you on the spot, if they were to title it, Anything spring to mind? <laughs> well, um, uh, earlier on in our discussion, the title, uh, non-metaphorical goose game sprung to mind. <laughs> but just to be clear, this is not a metaphor for anything. You just are a goose. Mm. I was thinking, duck the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, some variation on loose goose, goose on the loose. Mm. Uh, there's, there's some uh, decent word sounds there, but it's never going to be untitled goose game. No, it isn't. Uh, and, and it's not. Because this is, it's good though. Uh, I definitely have enjoyed my, I don't know, four hours of honking. Yep. I hope they do more. I'm glad I didn't have to review it because mm. I saw like it's Metagree average is something like 77%, which is much lower than I was expecting. And then I sort of, I haven't read any reviews, but on further reflection, just looking at individual review scores and thinking, actually, yeah, the sort of low 80s review is not, it's not wrong. <laughs> like it's a, it's a 10 out of 10 concept and they've executed on it brilliantly. Um, but it probably isn't my game of the year or anything. Like it's, it's no outer wilds in, in that sense. Right. Like it's, it's not, I mean, it's the thing is it's, you know, it's, it's fundamental. It's, it's a, it's a case, a perfect example of like absolutely nailing the feel and the tone and the look 
of a relatively straightforward experience. Mm. Like we can talk about, like I am really amused by all the things it does to the stealth genre that are like quietly, like not revolutionary, but like they sol- it solves so many problems. Yeah. But the, the reason it's not like, wow, best stealth game of the year or, or something like that is because the solutions only work if you're a goose. <laughs> <laughs> like they can't, you know, they can't really add this kind of no failure kind of thing to dishonored or something because that's about assassinating people and they can't have someone walk along and go like get up like you know what i mean but i kind of want to play more stealth games that work like this if that makes sense just it's likely that i don't know how you uh well it's such a perfect marriage of theme and mechanics in that regard that i don't know how you achieve this with like any other theme yeah like you could could switch in a different animal probably but that's about it (laughs) right yeah like and but the thing is as well that like it's animal vocabulary is basically that you're small, you can grab things and you can hustle mm. and you can make a noise and you know, really, and geese are just funny. Honking is funny. Honking is one of the funnier <laughs> sounds. Yep. Um, you know, like the entire game is really built around partly a picture of a goose and also just the press X to honk prompt, you know, <laughs> yep. like it's, it's, uh, it's a good very, but that's probably the most sort of, I mean, it is very aware of games generally, but that's, it's probably, probably most sort of explicit, you know, nod to the things it's not parodying, but sort of existing in deliberate contrast to. Yeah. Yeah. Was, my thought about like, I'm glad that I don't have to review it was you sort of, in this situation, the reviewer, you sort of feel like you've got to be the spoil sport because your, your low eighties review is sort of out of whack with the zeitgeist of everyone just, everyone's going wild for this thing. They fucking mm. love it. They're talking about it all the time. And, and I'm there with them. You know, I, I feel that way too. Uh, and then if you sit me down and say like, okay, we're paying you money to say exactly how good this game is. I'm like, uh, I've probably got to face some harsh realities <laughs> where it's still really, really good, but it's, it's probably not 10 out of 10. Uh, yeah. And it's interesting not to um, probably keep banging on about it but the it's interesting why because i think the thing that would make it 10 out of 10 is if it had some a slightly greater degree of consequence for your actions right i think it's going to be an incredible i think one thing that's really cool about it is i think it's an incredible introduction to playing stealth games like you do for people (laughs) who normally just sort of do everything normally and don't try and break things and don't see what happens if you take something from this place and move it over here yeah like it, it practically trains you to go like and then it's it's bonus objectives are basically all about like okay you've learned how the logic of this location this location this location works now break them both using elements from each other and things like that yeah it's kind of true actually because like it's you have to experiment to find out how to do some of these stuff there, there's a bunch of things on your to-do list where there is no way to get from what they're asking you to do to what you actually need to do just logically you need to just mess around and try some stuff and then realize oh when i mess with this this happens and that could be useful uh but it's not logical enough that you could just know to do that thing from the to-do list alone um obviously i can't say what specific puzzles i'm thinking of because it would spoil them but um that's and like Hitman is also, you know, you said at the start, this is like Hitman and it is, they're both sort of uh, like clockwork dollhouses kind of things where there's these certain um, uh, routines going on and, and interactions set up for you. And when you mess with them, you can see how that uh, has a lock on effect. And Hitman is really successful, but you don't feel, I don't think it, it would um, appeal to everyone that a Goose Game does because Goose Game, uh, 
you feel encouraged to experiment because there are no consequences because you know you're not going to be shot for doing it <laughs> like, mm. and even when being shot isn't a huge penalty i mean it kind of it can be in hitman um but there are games where you know actually getting caught is not that big a deal you just load a save that was uh extremely recent and you haven't lost much but it's just unpleasant it's just like ow <laughs> like mm. this I, I, that's a big you fucked up moment whereas in goose game when you get caught doing something that doesn't work out it's flat. so low and that just <laughs> reinforces this feeling of like i'll just try some stuff i'll just try this i'll try that and let's try this and yeah that that leads to interesting stuff mm. i think the thing that would make it an incredible game is if there was just greater even greater kind of systemic depth underneath that but it's hard for them to add to that without potentially creating the potential for scenarios that can't be undone yeah right like you've drowned the boy or like <laughs> wow yeah. or these neighbors are in love now or whatever it is you know what i mean actually the neighbors thing really made me kind of want to see like the the light side version of this game like yeah. obviously the dark side version is, is the paragon the, the correct one but yeah, like, paragon yeah. Goose, where where you have to get the two neighbors to like reconcile and actually realize like deep down they actually kind of love each other yeah exactly yeah it's a terrible day in the village and you're a lovely goose <laughs> yes and <laughs> that'll be legitimate that's actually sequel. that's the expansion pack I yeah think. like goose fix or like what would if the goose is awful and breaks everything what is the animal that comes along and fixes everything <laughs> just a nice dog like <laughs> yeah that's what it needs like a, an antagonist sort of figure to <laughs> um like a i don't know not a swan they're too posh <laughs> no the the swan would be the kind of lethal playthrough <laughs> You break everybody's arms or whatever it is they can do. <laughs> Never been especially clear to me how they do that. <laughs> no, it's a really specific thing. Like it's like, that's their one superpower. They can't do any other kind of injury. It's just your arms and you have to be kind of bending down a bit because otherwise they can't reach them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Alternatively, I would like to, um, play i think you know there'd be some systems to figure out but you could probably drop the goose from a title of goose game into like any new hitman level and it mm. would be fun <laughs> you know like and with the same objectives kill people <laughs> <laughs> like you know one of the things in its favor is a limited verb set and i'd love to be tat challenged like okay you're in what's the italy level from hitman sapienza sapienza you're in sapienza kill this guy <laughs> you're a goose <laughs> I mean, people would let you in places that they wouldn't let 47. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And there, there are, there's usually some, some way of killing the target that involves a very subtle interaction. Like just, just peck this, this cable that's supporting this chandelier or knock this bottle into this bowl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we should mention the bottles. You can get your beak in a bottle and then when you honk, <laughs> yes. it's a resonant honk. You can also, this is a subtle one. It's a resonant honk. You can honk into the well. And it, and it, and it echoes back at you. So you can just stand there honking at yourself. It's good. You can pick up a little, uh, baby's dummy and be a baby for a bit, I guess. It's, uh, yeah, it's great. Yep. Should we talk about Overland? Yeah. I've got to, I've got to get it off my chest. I've been full of Overland opinions all week and, uh, I, so this is a game I've been looking forward to for a long time and I know roughly how long because I was, um, I remember testing it and giving feedback and I was curious, uh, about how long ago that was. It was four years ago that I played an early version, gave some feedback, and then I talked about it on the podcast four years ago. Um, 
And I listened back to the bit where I talked about it to, to remind myself of what I thought at the time. Cause one of the things that struck me playing in the release version is it's very similar. I mean, it's, it's way more polished and it looks absolutely gorgeous. Um, but, uh, the problem, main problem I have with it is the one I remembered saying at the time four years ago, which is, uh, that everything you do feels like the wrong thing to have done. It's mm. constantly sort of tutting at you and saying, oh, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done that. And I remember saying that at the time. And then I went back and listened to the podcast. And I, on the podcast, I say, this has been in development for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. You have no idea. Um, so it's uh, uh, it's by Finji, uh, who are, um, amongst others, um, uh, Adam and Becca Saltzman. Um, and Heather Penn does the art. The art is absolutely fantastic. And um, we've no- it was four years ago as well. <laughs> and uh, um, it's only got better. And the whole game is like just aesthetically perfect now. Like it's, um, so beautifully rendered and all the sort of like the font choices and the, the lighting choices are, are amazing. And it's, we have to say it's been a big influence on Tactical Breach Wizards visually. Um, I know it's one of John Roberts' favorite, um, sort of reference points and, uh, he absolutely loves the art style too. Uh, the game itself, it's almost a problem how good the art is because it looks so lovely and it's, it's got this, if you haven't seen it, it's got this sort of diorama style where the, the every level is just a, a uh, square chunk of land um that as if it's been sort of cut out of the land and in fact it more as if it's like a resin diorama that mm. someone built uh, you know for a sort of a, a recreation um and which gives us this very kind of self-contained neat pleasing look that looks very accessible and inviting and actually that's that is present in the game design in some ways as well where the grid squares are enormous so a car fits in one grid square and so does a single person. Uh, so it's sort of, it's almost abstract in that way where it kind of it plays with scale to, to make that work. Uh, each turn, your people, it's a survival game set in a post-apocalypse and you have a, a team of survivors starting with two. Um, and each of your people only has two action points and one action point can move you one tile, uh, which is very different to something like XCOM or Into the Breach where, mm. you know, a move... Uh, in in both those games, actually, will take you sort of four to six tiles, and uh, or even longer in XCOM, and doesn't take up an action point usually. Um, in this game, uh, it's, so it's much smaller scale in that sense, and it has this this very it's so, so weird. It feels like it's almost as if, and this isn't true because I followed it through development, but it's almost as if for the first half of development they wanted it to be incredibly hardcore and punishing, and then for the next half of development they wanted it to be incredibly accessible and and simple, um, and it. On one level, it makes perfect sense for Apple Arcade, which is what it launched as part of. Um, but it's also on Steam and, um, uh, and I think Switch and PS4, although not in Europe on PS4 for some reason that I don't understand. Uh, but anyway, it's <laughs> so inviting. And then you play it and it just, it just says fuck you at every turn. It's <laughs> so harsh. It is. I'll say up front, it is based, it's a post-apocalyptic game and it's trying to make the post, I assume, trying to make the post-apocalypse feel bleak and desolate and hopeless. Mm. It is a game where everything you do has a cost. Everything you do, uh, like I say, feels like a mistake because the game is constantly telling you, well, here's why you shouldn't have done that. Here's, here's the problem with what you just did. Um, and that's kind of true no matter what you do. And so that's, it ties into the survival theme. On, on some level, I sort of respect the mood they're going for. Or at least I respect that they, uh, that these mechanics are designed with intent to conjure that feeling. Mm. But that's a horrible feeling. <laughs> it's really horrible to feel like every move you make is wrong. Everything is just getting worse forever. Uh, there's no hope of survival. And, um, 
uh, you're just screwed. And one of the core mechanics that gives you that feeling is that uh, the enemies are aliens that that come up from the ground. It is a sort of feel for them. I don't know how they felt when Into the Breach arrived because Into the Breach is also a game that has a diorama type look with a, a very similar size grid. I couldn't say off the top of my head what eight, what Overland is, but Into the Breach is eight by eight and feels like very similar. And also about insectoid aliens that burrow up from the ground rather than arriving from space. Um, so, uh, and it, Overland was, was out there first, at least. Um, They're very different games otherwise. Though. Yeah, they are. Um, and in fact, Overland is almost like the anti into the breach. Into the breach is all about clarity and it's all about telling you, here's what's going to happen. Here's the problem you're facing. Here's all the information you could possibly need to solve it. And mm. the challenge is just solve it. Push Overland. Yes. Uh, and Overland is, I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> you can move two tiles and that's all you get to know. And these aliens that pop up from the ground, every time, if you attack them, uh, that makes noise. And every noise you make summons another alien. And so even if you kill them in one blow, that blow made enough noise to summon one more alien. So you haven't reduced the number of aliens that you're going to have to deal with. That alien that's summoned is going to take a couple of turns to unburrow. You'll see it pop up as like a little mark in the ground. And then next turn, it'll be you know nearly out. And then the turn after it comes out, I think it's two turns. Um, but you've only delayed the problem. You know, you have not, you don't ever get to just clear the map and make the place safe. Um, and that is true just everywhere you go. Every single area you arrive in already has some aliens in it. And if you take those aliens out, you're only summoning more aliens by doing that. And, um, if you hit them with a pipe, so if you, you hit them with a stick, which is probably the first weapon you're going to find, there's just sticks lying around. If you don't have a, any, you start with no weapon and you can't even attack without a weapon. You can't do any damage at all. You're literally helpless. Uh, so if you see a stick, you pick up the stick. And if you hit an alien with a stick, it makes noise that summons another alien and it half breaks the stick. <laughs> the next hit breaks the stick. Now you have no stick and you can't attack anybody at all. Um, so it's constantly telling you this is wrong. Don't do this. This is bad. You, what you just did, here's the price you're going to pay for that. Uh, and so then you think, okay, well, maybe I don't attack the aliens or I try not to. And then, but more aliens do show up because even just like opening a bin will make enough noise to summon an alien. Like everything you do makes noise. It's constantly saying, no, that made noise, that made noise. Oh, is summoning more aliens? It's getting worse, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. Um, and if you're not killing the aliens that are already there and more aliens are showing up, it's getting worse. And there's this constant time pressure, this constant um, deterioration of your situation. Everything's getting more and more desperate all the time. And uh, one of the sort of core things you're dealing with is... is uh, you have a car and you're trying to keep it fueled. Uh, you're constantly running out of fuel and you need to find fuel everywhere you go. Uh, you're sometimes offered, after you complete a map, you go to a, a, oh, sorry, after you complete a level, you go to a map, which then you choose whether you want to go to like a petrol station next or a place where you've heard there's some supplies or. There's a bit of Oregon Trail. Is that a fair comparison? I've never played that. Um, but it's, uh, it definitely feels like FTL in terms of like you have Mm. two to four options at any given juncture and you just choose one of those and then it takes you to a map. Yeah. Um, right. uh, it takes you to a level. <laughs> this is <laughs> the curse of um, game design terminology. Uh, and so if you're going to a, a, a fuel station, like I wish going to that map and like, oh, sorry, level. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I can't stop saying map. Um, uh, going there at, 
was was sort of like if you went to like a fuel node in ftl it would be oh there's pirates there and you got to fight the pirates and then you fight the pirates and you win and you get like 17 fuel you get a big fucking cache of fuel and you sold your fuel problem for the next few mm. nodes you don't need to worry about fuel because you just stocked up on fuel and you're doing great and you have that feeling of yes i'm doing great overland you get to a fuel station and there's like there's two fuel cans in front of you, but it'll take you three turns to move far enough to pick them up. When you get there, it's one fuel, and you spent four fuel to get here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and even then, picking up the fuel can doesn't give you one fuel. You've just put it in your hand. And to put it in your hand, you've got to drop your weapon. So now you're defenseless. You cannot fight anything. And then you've got to walk all the way back to your car. And when you walk all the way back to your car, you still don't have the fuel. You have to spend an action pouring it into the tank. And that's true for every fuel can you pick up. And all the time this is happening, the situation is getting worse and worse. More and more aliens are, are arriving um and uh if you find a gas if you actually gone to a, a literal gas station you can get to the gas pump and then when you get there uh you can siphon it that costs an action and gets you one fuel and at first so the game is very difficult it's also artificially difficult in that a lot of things seem worse than they are um and it doesn't explain itself very well uh and then on top of that there's the feeling of bleakness so it has like four different sort of oppressiveness problems <laughs> that each each one individually would be fine if it was the only one but they mm. they they combine to give this sense of just oh my god how am i ever gonna uh play this game or get anywhere or do anything um and so when i played early on i you know get to a gas pump and i'd siphon it to like, fucking hell it cost me an, a whole action and i got one fuel from it that's it that's all i get from the gas pump and then like seven runs in i realize oh no after you siphon a gas pump you can siphon it again you spend another action to siphon it again and that gets you more gas and there's there'll be like six gas in it or something um and so if you can hang around long enough to spend six actions and siphon it all out you have got a significant amount of gas and so it's easier than i thought it was like that is a thing where now i actually can get a six gas is still not a great amount of fuel you'll that gets you like two stops maybe and then um you're out again uh, and when you're out you're just fucked it's basically campaign over mm. um and so it's like now it's a little bit easier but it's still like so many actions and you desperately need, if you only have two people and this one can't attack anybody because they're having to do the gas thing and the other one has a weapon that breaks in two hits <laughs> and there's like seven enemies and five more get summoned while this is happening it's just it's always so bleak and so um uh depressing uh but the whole time it looks gorgeous and everything is it is sort of satisfying that everything has this sort of clean single function like a stick uh can hit something twice you know you can do two hits with it and mm. then it's gone um the game has no damage values it never tells you anything's hit points or the damage value on anything and it's part of an attempt to design the game so that they don't need to do that but they sort of do because <laughs> there are things with three hit points but it doesn't tell you it has three hit points. you're just supposed to notice that it has three heads um uh, and that that almost works but then there's other stuff where it's just like i just need to know what this fucking enemy does i i'm going to lose my whole campaign because i don't know what this enemy does and it took me an hour to get here um and of course it's permadeath and it's uh, um uh, you almost anything that goes wrong is the end of your campaign and that's another like compounds the issue of like not understanding the rules because mm. things like when you i, don't, I still don't understand this but when you enter a car you drop any fuel tank you're carrying Normally, a character only has one inventory slot, which is crazy, <laughs> because it means if you have a weapon, you have to put it down before you do anything. And if you're going to scavenging, like if you want to go and investigate like a car and, and see what's in it and or like, a, like a, a dumpster or something and see what's inside, 
you kind of need to take your weapon with you to fight off anything that attacks you while you're there. Otherwise, you'll just get into a situation where you can't do what you came there to do be- mm. without being attacked. And once you're attacked, you're basically dead. Um, so you bring your weapon with it. And then if you find something good in that, in that, uh, dumpster or whatever, you have to leave your weapon there to take it. <laughs> like you can't take both back with you unless you want to do two trips, which is not viable because of the, the endless onslaught of enemies. And, uh, that's crazy. But there is something. So if you, if normally, if you have the one thing in your one inventory slot and you get in a car, the car also has one inventory slot, by the way. It's a fucking <laughs> car and it can carry one bottle. <laughs> that's its maximum inventory. Um, so it has the same inventory as a goose. Yes. <laughs> uh, and if you have a bottle and you get in a car, you get to keep your bottle. You're still, you're in the car. You still have the bottle. If there's a med kit in the car, that's its one inventory slot. You got your one inventory slot. That's fine. Unless you're carrying a fuel tank, in which case there's a special rule that makes you drop the fuel tank before you get in. But it costs an action to get into the car. So if you didn't know that was going to happen, now you've wasted your action. You don't have the fuel tank. It's on the ground. You're going to spend another action getting out of the car. Picking it up doesn't cost an action, which is nice. But then getting back in the car will cost you another action. So mm. that's an entire turn. And if you just, if you got in a car with a fuel tank, I guarantee it was because you don't have time to fill the car up with the fuel tank. Like that costs an action. You can't afford an action in the situation. You just need to get the fuck out of there and you don't want to lose the fuel. So you're trying to take it with you, but there's a special rule that you drop it that you don't tell you about. And that just ends your campaign. The first time that happens is that is over now. We cannot do it because the next hit sets fire to the car. <laughs> and once there's no car, we are completely fucked. Um, hmm. And then another bizarre thing that I can't understand is the only, every single level you go to, has these enemies that are constantly spawning and is oppressive and depressing and, and pressuring and all these negative things that you don't have time to fuck around. You don't have time to fill up your car with the stuff that you brought in. Um, but between them, when you're looking at that map and choosing which level to go to next, I'm getting my terminology really down here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you're at a campfire and it's a rest thing and your people talk to each other and there's this dynamic sort of semi generated conversation. Um, and it's, it's shown as a moment of rest but you can't use that time to take a fuel tank and fill the car up with it. You can't, uh, if one of your people is, is injured and you have a med kit, you can't use it on them. There's no opportunity to do anything at that point. You have to then go to a danger zone and in the danger zone, both get out of the car, pass the med kit to one who isn't injured, use the med kit on that person, and then that heals them. But you have to do that while you're being attacked, even though like narratively there are these moments of safety and, and respite where you would be able to do that. So I, I almost gave up on it on my first campaign because I was just like, this is so horrible. It just feels so uh, depressing to play, half intentionally and half not intentionally. Uh, but I remembered that when I played it before, I did leave. I mean, A, it looks gorgeous. So I just want to see more of it. Mm. I, I want to get somewhere with it. And I remembered that when I played it before, that there being stories, it would it would generate stories because you will encounter other people along the road. And sometimes you can invite them to your team and sometimes you can't. And if you can't, they are also scavenging. So they're, they're taking things that you're trying to take as well. Someone else is gathering fuel on the same map. You're trying to gather fuel. And like mm, I say, that's a cool idea. it is so limited that you're honestly kind of like, I think we should kill this guy. <laughs> I think, or at the very least, put him between us and the aliens and not help if he gets attacked. <laughs> because uh, it's got a kind of, uh, I definitely have a kind of scavenger's code where like, if, if, if they're in danger... Let's just let it happen. <laughs> and then mm. afterwards, let's see if we can get to that body and take that fuel. <laughs> um, and I even, I did have a, a nice moment where there was somebody, I got to one of these maps and uh, like we were a team of like two people with a dog with us 
And I thought we were a super charming team. And so we went up to try and invite her and she didn't want to join. And we're like, oh, come on, we got a dog. <laughs> you don't want to hang out with a dog? You're alone in the post-apocalypse. Uh, so I was kind of like, well, fine. See how you do on your own. Uh, and she died. And then oh. I went over to loot her body and get the fuel that she'd gathered. I was thinking, I was basically thinking, score, this is great. <laughs> this person I didn't like who was also interfering with our plans is now dead. I get to take her stuff and it wasn't technically my fault. <laughs> uh, I went over to her body and then when I got close, I got the option to revive her. I like, oh, ah, uh, yeah, all right, let's try that. And then <laughs> after I revived her, she said, Hey, can I come with you? <laughs> oh, now, now you want it. <laughs> And actually, yeah, we did recruit her and she became part of the team. So that was a nice little moment. And then uh, it finally did, like, after many campaigns, it, I finally got, like, a proper um, story out of it where I had not been able to go to any trading outposts because uh, they always seem to cost, like, five fuel. And, like, you can only ever have ten fuel. That's the most you can ever have. Um, and I, the most I've had in practice is usually, like, seven and if you have seven fuel, going spending five to get a trading outpost that might not have any fuel is almost suicide. So it almost never happened. And then one time I had loads and loads of fuel and it was a bit closer, so it didn't cost as much fuel to go there. Um, and I went there. I'd never been to a trading outpost, didn't know how it worked, knew what, if, is there a currency or what? Um, and we pull up. I think these are randomly generated to some extent. I assume they are because we pulled up and there's a table with four really good items on it. And then in the distance, there's a campfire with a man and his dog there. And we get out and we, like, just by getting out of the car, I'm already standing next to the table with all the good stuff on it. <laughs> and the guy <laughs> says, hey, let's do this right, uh, or something to that effect. Uh, and I'm just looking at the stuff. I'm like, I am, like, like as I say, picking stuff up costs zero actions. <laughs> and I'm right next to my car. I could just take all of this stuff. But uh, you can only carry one thing, right? Yeah, but passing items to other people and to your car is also free. So uh-huh. I, can, I could, you can basically chain gang it. And that's another thing where, like, th- that one, I guess, is... It's not explained, but it's semi-logical once you learn the basics. Once you know picking stuff up and transferring stuff is free, and you know that, uh, you, you know, um, uh, moving isn't and all this other stuff, you can sort of create, like, if you have three people, then you can create a pretty good chain gang from, like, a fuel source to your car and just pass right. things down. Can a dog be part of that? Yes. That's, <laughs> Absolutely. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dogs can carry things in their mouths. They can't really... Uh, the first two dogs I found were both aggressive, which is a trait that means they can attack enemies as well. And that's actually really good because they don't need to use an item to do that. So they're not breaking the, mm. their weapon. They can always attack. It's Dog right, breaks after two attacks. <laughs> God, that would be heartbreaking. <laughs> you said it's a game where everything's a bad idea. It's not even his teeth that break, just the whole dog just snaps in half. <laughs> the dog is used up now. Um, no, luckily the dogs are renewable resources. Um, but then, uh, I thought that was a standard feature of dogs, but it turns out that's a special trait the first two I found had, and all the dogs I found since uh, cannot attack at all. Useless idiots. They, yeah. <laughs> Even if you give them a stick, they can't attack with a stick. I think they can attack with a knife if you give them a knife, but I've never <laughs> managed to pull that off. Um, uh, anyway, we put up to this table, and I could just take all the stuff, and I was like, man, I don't even know what this stuff costs, but I'm pretty sure we can't afford any of it. We don't really have much to trade anyway. Um uh i would be crazy not to just steal all of this <laughs> this is there's an axe i've never even seen an axe before um it turns out to be a weapon that doesn't degrade and that kills things uh pretty well i think it's not too noisy um there was a backpack which gives you an extra inventory slot holy Fucking shit. huge i know <laughs> that's a car's worth of space <laughs> it's a goose's worth of space <laughs> it's like i've got a whole other goose with me <laughs> <laughs> the paragon goose <laughs> it's here um and then like a roof rack 
Man, a roof rack is fucking gold dust in this place. It's a backpack of cars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like there's a whole other goose in my car. <laughs> um, and something else that I can't remember what it was, but it was just like, it was amazing stuff. And we were just like, I'm just going to take all of this because you put me in this survival situation. You've successfully created an atmosphere of desperation and pressure and, and hmm. despair. Uh, there's almost no decision to make here. Why would I ever cooperate or be nice? Like I, it's always life or death. I absolutely need the stuff. I'm taking it and I'm leaving. <laughs> and so I took it all and I left. Um, and yeah, we just drove off and there were, uh, just the guy kind of yelled at us. Like if they, if we'd stuck around for multiple turns, I'm sure him and his dog would have come over and attacked us. But just the way that it was laid out was like all the goods right next to us, then miles away. Uh, <laughs> it was too good to be true. So we took everything and left. Uh, and that campaign started to go really well. Like I've got an ax now. It's a reliable weapon. Um, uh, two of my people now have m- multiple inventory slots. <laughs> um, and at the campfire we muttered something about mm, maybe we shouldn't have done that to them um but it was fine and at the end of each like sector each sort of um you're trying to cross america and each kind of zone yeah it does sound like oregon trail which is like one side of america. or um more recently oregon trail which was the zombie apocalypse <laughs> version of this in oregon trail are you starting in oregon or leaving oregon you're trying to get to oregon okay because this also goes west to east and right so oregon trail goes east to west oh because it's like as in you're trying to get to oregon from like wait what did i say you said west to east <laughs> uh no i'm wrong if you start on the east and you're trying to get yeah to, it does to sound west like coast. yeah which is because that feels weird in game i i didn't know that that was an oregon trail thing um but it's you're going right to left and that's just from video games i was just confused by the map at first because i'm like what what aren't i on the left oh no i'm not anyway um at the end of each zone there is a barricade which is so it's just a map with a lot of problems on it and <laughs> no upside except um uh if you get through it you've completed the zone and mm. and that creates uh from then on you can start from the next zone if you like but it's a bit like spelunky where you're kind of gimping yourself if you do that um but anyway we showed up to this this barricade and i'm playing on the there isn't difficulty modes but there's an option where you can enable level restarts which means if you actually die then you get the option to restart that map. Right. Uh, because I was actually going to ask quickly, is there any kind of rewind function? No, that's the only okay. one. And that if you turn that on, you don't get certain achievements and stuff. It's very right. much like the easy mode. They're sort of trying to make you not play that way. Uh, but certainly when you're learning the game, you should, because you need to, like, when your campaign is scotched because of one mistake you made, uh, you still have to, you then have to get everyone killed to get to restart. <laughs> like there's no, there's no restart option. You have to actually make everybody die to get that option. And so I spend a lot of my time just like intentionally uh, walking up to aliens and not attacking them to make sure everybody dies so they can restart the level. Anyway, this, this barricade level went badly and uh, we quickly got into a situation where just there was no way out of it. There's just, I, d- I discovered to my peril that, um, uh, the two health enemy I killed, as well as having two health after they die, their corpse becomes a impassable object mm. and it was on the road and it was on the one space that was clear. Uh, the rest of the road was blocked and so we just can't get past it and we just, you can drag it, but there was, there were so many aliens on the map by that point that there was not room to drag it, even if I had enough turns and I would, wouldn't get killed for doing it. Um, and, uh, failed the map. Actually, just before I failed, uh, a car pulled up, uh, and it was, uh, the shopkeeper whose name I guess is Jorge, cause it, like when he shows up, your guys say, Oh, it's Jorge. <laughs> um, and he's like, ah, I have traitors. Uh, and I think it was supposed to be a big, like, Oh no, this guy showed up at the worst possible moment, but actually like, it was like, we're already dead, mate. <laughs> you didn't need to come here. Um, anyway, I died and then restarted the map and then I 
I kind of knew what I was doing a bit more and I, I, I avoided attacking aliens for as long as possible and drag things out of the way. And it was going kind of all right, but I'd used a pipe to kill some aliens and that summons two enemies when you kill someone with a pipe. Is it because it's a very resonant pipe? Yeah. And they do a good job with sound design. Sound design and music actually is, is really good it as well. It bongs, really. You know. It properly bongs. Yeah. That's extra bonk. <laughs> it's, it's one of the few interactions where like, it is intuitive this would summon more enemies because it's a real like resounding uh, bong. Um, and so it was one of those knife edge situations where like if we... I, pipe edge situations. Yep. <laughs> the rounded edge of a pipe. Um we, if we'd had a knife, we would have been fine. <laughs> it was a very much knife-free situation. Uh, anyway, if we got away, if if using the the pipe excessively got us out of it, we would have been fine. But the consequences were catching up to us, and there was there was um, a fast enemy next to our car, and that is death because a fast enemy can attack twice on their turn. A car can only take two hits before it's on fire, hmm. um, and th- there was no way to get out, get away from it, um, and so uh, we. Uh, got hit by it twice our car was on fire and that turn Jorge shows up again and he's like and our people are like oh it's Jorge and he's like ah <laughs> uh, hi always late for his revenge yeah uh, and our car just uh, just caught fire and so oh God, I, I was going. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like okay we're gonna restart this and I thought hmm <laughs> there's another car here now <laughs> and Jorge not a master of logistics had got out of the back of his car so his car is between him and us so he's so hang on a, he'd like dived out of the boot it's like a pickup truck I didn't really see how he got out but he was he was at the back and he's surrounded by aliens of course because the whole map is covered in aliens so he's actually dealing with the consequences of the things he has a knife by the way um, and he stabs two aliens to death and we're just like that's a car our car's fucked I think we just get in that car <laughs> It was, and it had some fuel in it and everything. It just passed in this car and it just drove off. <laughs> Sorry, Jorge. <laughs> See you next time. That's actually great. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I got my story out of it. That's that's my one story from Overland that was... You find, like, late, like next time you're in that situation, you show up on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> you better not steal this fucking bike. Yeah, or on a horse. <laughs> I don't know what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like so it sounds like the issue because you're describing it because actually i quite like oregon trail style games um if people haven't played it oregon trail which is many years old at this point is a essentially a tribute to oregon trail in it's a dos style kind of survival resource management game but with a zombie apocalypse theme and a bunch of cool little interactions and mini games and things that does this as well that appeal that theme does appeal to me but it sounds like it's not generating those sort of the good stories that come from having succeeded for a certain amount of time yeah, with enough exactly. frequency. You need to, you need to get, you need to be in the game long enough for these things to build up, for these mm. threads to, to, um, uh, to establish themselves before they can pay off. And when it's this harsh, you're just dying. It's not even that you're getting wiped out that often. Usually the only times I actually die is when I intentionally kill my people to restart the map. Mm. Uh, much, much more common is you get in a situation where just, I'm just fucked. There's no way out of this. Like, we have no medkits. Both our people are injured. As soon as someone takes one hit, they can now only take one action per turn. So that's just death. Like, there's nothing you can do with one action per turn. Yeah, right. Like, uh, taking away your ability to act is so risky. Yeah. And it's, and again, they've made that decision to create stories, and it mm. sometimes does. You get, you get nice moments where, like, one of you is injured and the other one isn't. That creates stories because you leave that person in the car. But then sometimes the one able-bodied person is is out there doing stuff and that really needs just a bit of help and you just 
the injured person will just get out and stagger along a bit to like um get just far enough to hand them a knife or something and that'll save them and that's a nice little moment mm. but it does the other side of it is it snowballs like hell if, you, if both you people are injured it's just game over you might as well just quit right yeah it sounds like it's it sounds like the i can understand on a hypothetical level the desire to have such a simple system everyone carries one object almost yeah. board game like everyone carries yeah. one object enemies take one hit or two hits or clear a number of hits um everyone has this number of action points unless they're in this you know action points are health you know all of yeah, these different exactly. like reducing everything to one pool of things but i think the problem with that is you know like everything hurts omnidirectionally like <laughs> yes. all of the time like and i was thinking about it like I was trying to think of like, I, I, I'm, I like the idea of, you know, um, health systems that are tied to your ability to, you know, the, to resources that are more interesting than health itself and things like that. But, you know, I wonder if I was thinking about like that action system problem and the fact that you have two actions and you often want more than two and it's possible to make, I think the fact that it's possible to make mistakes that don't make logical sense is just a problem. Yeah. But beyond that, it feels like, I mean, I know I'm trying to spit, spitballing about a game I haven't played, but like, it's, it sounds like an issue that you, you are having to make such clear and kind of, you know, decisions with the two actions you've got, but without enough information to know exactly what the consequences are going to be. So there's not a lot of room to react, which is fine in a survival scenario, but it's not satisfying, presumably to then have to wait for your next opportunity to course correct. And a system that's kind of, cool for this that would be interesting to see how it worked in this scenario is something like how uh, I, I think the game does this blood bowl does this as in the the warhammer football game where it allows you to gamble on moving extra squares or basically taking extra actions but every time you this is a vast simplification of how the system works but but every time you do it carries increasing risk so in Blood Bowl, that's you try and run a few extra squares. Your player trips over. You then get the dice roll that means they take an injury. You then get the dice roll that means they've died. Like, <laughs> and that's the extreme consequence of it. But it could be something like you can take as many actions in a turn as you want, but every action after the second one has a 50% chance of creating a noise. Mm. Something like that, where yeah, it'd be like, sure. you know, you know, and oh, you know, it's, it's 50, you know, and it could even just be 50% every time. I was like, keep it super simple. It's just a flip of the coin. And so you'd get the, people who have the amazing run of they where they just keep gambling and they just keep winning. Yeah. You know, I think that sort of system works quite well in a scenario like this, because it allows people to break the rules at a mounting risk of disaster, which feels more survivally than I didn't plan perfectly. Therefore yeah. I'm just doomed. Yeah. Um, I just remembered uh, when you asked about rewind things, there is actually an undo button, but only for movement and only in some situations. So like as soon as you've acted, you can't undo. Um, and then if the map is foggy or dark, you can't undo at all. And that's because huh. uh, they don't want you to like scout ahead with one move, then undo it after you know what's there. Right. But fucking hell, the visibility system in those maps is is so oppressive that you can't you can't see diagonally at night <laughs> that's a rule about humans in this world and this is so there are games like into the breach diagonals just don't exist they're just mm -hmm. it's diagonal atheist <laughs> diagonal skeptic i don't know what the term is they're like there's just there's no diagonals your answer to any question about the rules of into the breach if it involves the word diagonal the answer is no um in this you can move diagonally 
Uh, and that's still only one point. So if you move to a diagonally adjacent square, that still costs you one action. Ooh. Uh, and it's a, is it a hex grid or a square grid? No, it's square. Ooh. So yeah, you're moving makes further. Makes a little weird. Um, yeah, but uh, you can't interact diagonally. So if you want to, um, hmm. if you want to refuel a car and you're diagonal to the car, you can't do that. That sort of makes sense, but it, it already you've created an inconsistency there where I'm, I'm keep forgetting, like, what are the rules here? Can so I do this? Is it, so the, do therefore the rule is you can move in eight directions, but adjacency is four. Um, like you, you could phrase it that way. Yeah. Like, um, but then, like I say, at night, uh, you can only see the four adjacent squares, not the diagonal ones, even though you could move to those, but you can't move to them because you can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> and those cases, they also the the effect for darkness doesn't cover the whole tile, so you actually kind of can see what's in the tile sometimes. And if it's a tile you've been to, there's no, it still gets turned to total blackness when you leave it. And so even when it's empty space, you know is empty because you were just there, you can't move back into it. And I just got a character completely stuck because she moved into a place where um, the route she'd taken was blocked now, but there was a diagonal route she could take, but because she can't see it, she can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> and so she's just trapped next to some empty space she knows is empty but she can't move there I'm like oh lost that character because <laughs> you can't see diagonally at night <laughs> that is actually um that sounds like uh a like a law text you would find in control <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, yeah that yeah man dogs can't look up and left <laughs> <laughs> everyone is a goose worth of objects <laughs> It would make, I tell you what, you can completely redeem that inventory system by having everyone just carry things in their mouth. <laughs> like no one knows how to carry things with their hands. The car is carrying it in like the lip of the bonnet or That's something. Like hand carrying is the lost knowledge of the precursor race. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's just got oh, the hand carriers once lived here, but we don't know how they did it. <laughs> how did they, the hand carriers solve this? <laughs> 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 good yep I, I don't know if that was a recommendation or not for <laughs> there is there is good stuff in it and it's beautiful um but i mean actually i guess it's an apple arcade recommendation because it's perfect for that where just like you get to try it and find out if this bleakness suits you or not mm. on steam it's 20 quid which is quite a lot to gamble on that kind of um on a game where it's very uh depressing <laughs> <laughs> Should we do some questions? Yeah. You and I, with our whiskey in this big echoey room. Uh, we've got a surprising number of questions that are essentially just prompts for sort of fantasy roleplay scenarios. By fantasy roleplay scenarios, I mean that strictly in the sort of Dungeons and Dragons. In the wizard sense. Elves and goblins and wizards and orcs sort of sense. Uh, not any of the sense that you might have been thinking about. You know who you are. I don't know what I'm talking about. Russ has written, Hi CNC, you must gather your party before venturing forth. Why? Because you've been transported into a D&D style RPG as new characters. As always, your first quest is to deal with the giant rats in the cellar of the Crate and Crowbar Tavern. Of all the many hosts and guests you've had on the pod, who would choose to help you get rid of them? Thanks for all the podcasts and welcome back, Marsh. There's a really crucial ambiguity in this, in the wording of this question. Because when I first wrote it, I thought it said, who would you choose to help you get rid of them? But it actually says, who would choose to help you get rid of them? So which, who do you think would volunteer to help? <laughs> I 
I suppose we, before we embark on this, we have to figure out what party composition is, because there's only two people in this party, which may be the question answer what's been asking. <laughs> what class are you in this fantasy D D world? Uh I guess Thief. Yeah. Rogue slash definitely. Assassin. Yeah, uh wizard probably. Problem with like being an assassin versus rats is like you'd be very good at taking out one of them. <laughs> then like <laughs> you're not really a crowd control class. The other rat turns around and says, Must have been rats. <laughs> <laughs> it was. <laughs> Must have been men. <laughs> <laughs> man like a stealth game with rat guards would be amazing <laughs> yeah like a mouse guard or like red wall kind of stealth game <laughs> or mouse uh, rat guards in goose game <laughs> <laughs> must have been a goose again <laughs> yeah exactly as it always is you can tell when it's geese because they honk all the time <laughs> <laughs> it must have been geese probably that goose is honking at us and flapping his wings <laughs> yeah exactly and he's got your stuff as well <laughs> <laughs> with the cheese in his mouth <laughs> Um, which affects the acoustics of its honk. It's <laughs> uh, so good. Um, imagine if uh, the things Corvo was holding in his mouth affected the acoustics of his honk. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, so I'd probably be a wizard. I think. I think well, in D and D, typically a bard, but in this scenario, probably a wizard. Uh, I think again, there's almost no use of a wizard in this scenario because everything you do is like massively disproportionate to the problem at hand yeah we need a warrior who would be a warrior from our john roberts yeah he's big and strong yeah (laughs) yeah he's a he's a he's got the them climbing muscles which can presumably also be used for violence (laughs) (laughs) yep otherwise why would anyone climb yeah exactly um yeah i think what are you going to do when you get to the top (laughs) there could be enemies there i think i mean um graham's very tall but i don't know if you oh yeah yeah of course yeah yeah, Graham's yeah, definitely got a lot of, uh, what's like the boxing term for reach? Wh- yeah. Reach. Do you need reach to punch a rat? I don't know. Well, <laughs> if you're very tall, you do, because now you're very high up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> very low. So, but in that scenario, is Pip not the obvious choice? Uh, perhaps. But I think, well, I think when the question is, who would you help you get rid of them? That's just a flat out no there. I, yeah, I think Pip would befriend the rats and, uh, lead them to new adventures. Yeah. <laughs> get into hijinks. And I could kind of, rev- like, is that a reverse? Uh, Pied Piper scenario, or is that just the Pied Piper I scenario? think it's more or less just what Pied Piper did. Yeah. Pip Pied Pipper? <laughs> uh, don't know. Um, what class would Tom Senior and Alex Hawkshire be? Tom Senior, hmm. I see Alex is a mage as well, or maybe a warlock. Hmm. Tom Senior, I think, ranger. Mm, because yeah, no one sense. knows where the fuck he is half the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, he's got a, a wild man facial hair. Yeah, wild man facial hair. Yeah. Um, the uh, Alex. Mm. I, yeah, I can see the mage thing. I think I think he's got the sort of um, grimoires in his tower sort of vibe <laughs> down pat. I think that's right. I can see. I could see Bard. Mm. If there was like an engineer slash tinkerer class, I can see that for him. A, because he wears glasses and B, because he writes Mm. a column called the mechanic. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. My my reasoning is very shallow. How about Marsh? Um, Marsh is a goblin. (laughs) Well, I mean, I did. (laughs) Which is not a class. I I defamed him over the course of six hours. Um, into that effect. It's worked because I definitely think of him as a goblin now. And he he might be my first choice to deal with the rats because I also feel like he'd. Mm. I think, 
though more seriously, I would probably go cleric for actual class. Hmm. I think mostly because I think there's an al- there's an aspect of disapproving of everything around <laughs> yes. you that comes hand in hand with like being a cleric, you know. <laughs> you disapprove those rats so hard. <laughs> it's a, it's a shit seller. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I remember you had a, a pretty bad woodlouse uh, issue in the in the graveyard house, mm. and that feels. Well, like they it. followed him here. Don't don't don't, oh, don't right. you worry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might have trained him to deal with vermin of larger sizes too. I think maybe he might actually just be the cleric of woodlice, like of the god of woodlice. You know what I mean? Or the like, pipe piper of woodlice. Yeah. Well, we've got one for each kind of creature in that case, which is good. Um, I don't think we answered what class Pip would be druid. Definitely druid. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we answered that. Actually, well, who would choose to help you is the, the, the part of that that I was stuck on. Who would actually volunteer to help? I think again, probably John. Maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Is it like only people who aren't here are the well, people we're choosing from? I, I feel I would like, probably volunteer. Yeah, I feel you would volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> no one would want me to. <laughs> you know, it's all it's fireballs, but yeah. Next one comes from Fiasco, who writes, Dear Amnesiacs and Tutorial Prompts. You're playing an RPG, once again, and a feisty party member feels they should not, they should be the leader of the party and not you. What happens as you are sidelined from your own game? What role do you end up playing in the world and story after the successful coup? So I think this is pretty much, you're no longer an active player character, you're now a non-player character. Mm. Who are you? I would like to be the enchanter NPC who you take weapons to and they Mm. like add some properties to it and maybe fuck it up. So like there's a lot of there's there's a lot of room to grow in that career path. <laughs> like being a blacksmith would be probably satisfying work, but I feel it'd be roughly the same at mm. all times. And whereas enchanting, it feels like there's a lot more variety. I'd like to be the um the, in, usually in a Diablo game or something. There's usually like one hapless NPC that you have to end up rescuing in like every zone. Mm. Like they just keep mm. getting stuck in something. Yeah, I think I, that that's who I, I'd want to be. Like, how do I get in here? Like, that sort of vibe. <laughs> you could... Uh, the worst role would be the, the person who dies at the start of Diablo 1 to establish the stakes. <laughs> like, actually, no, that that is who I would be. I would be... Um, guardsman locked outside of gates as village <laughs> as hero party <laughs> arrives in, in midst of zombie attack. Like person everyone else like so after you defeat the zombie incursion or whatever and the guard the doors to the town swing open and the captain of the guard comes out and says oh adventurer we couldn't save chris but thank god you're here (laughs) (laughs) and then you you like you know you can maybe earn your very first renegade point of the game by looting my trousers (laughs) i love that the the captain of the guard at the start of Diablo three the first thing he says there's a little fight and then after the fight, he always says, oh, I've never seen anyone fight like that. <laughs> Mate, you get every single person who plays Diablo comes through here. <laughs> You've never seen a wizard before. <laughs> but in also, like, I also quite like that line because it works the other way as well because, like, Diablo 3 particularly, like, its abilities start at 11. Like, you don't, you don't, like, you know, begin with, like, sword swing, you know, or, like, hammer 
bash or something like if you're a you know crusader or something you've got like a magical glowing hammer that flies in a circle around you already that does like a flat amount of damage to everything near you and so i can believe it if he's peeking over the top of the guard fence and there's like a woman in full plate like just letting a autonomous golden hammer pummel zombies to death over time next to you would walk out and say i've never seen anyone fight like that because it doesn't make any sense (laughs) So yeah, Enchanter and Corpse is the answer to that one. <laughs> uh, next question comes from David, who writes, Hi all, you are a cabal of morally ambiguous wizards. <laughs> Thank you for noticing. Thank you. Uh, you have the power to grant one free game to all of your listeners, but they must all play it to completion. What game do you choose? Take care, David. I don't take care there, which is either in like a nice normal email sign off, like take care, or <laughs> a warning. <laughs> take this task seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Don't piss about now. Also, there's a PS here, which we should read beforehand. Uh, PS, the Japanese title of an untitled goose game. Um, I'm not going to be able to pronounce the Japanese, but it translates to untitled goose game. A rascally goose has turned up. <laughs> wow. There's your real title. <laughs> and he has. <laughs> I think rascally is a good descriptor, actually. Yeah. And um, I think... Maybe what we tried to touch on earlier is more stealth games need to star rascals rather yeah. than murderers. I've heard mischief as well, which is mm. feels appropriate and is yeah underused in games. Pip has a concept of a small crime, <laughs> um, and she would really be into it. It's, it's it's a very it's a very specific sort of energy of crime <laughs> um but it's a game of small crimes like it's not a game yeah. of the big the classic ones you know like fraud or murder. <laughs> Um, I've forgotten the question already. <laughs> uh, you are a cabal of moral ambiguous wizards. You have the power to grant oh, yeah, one yeah. free game. Um, they have to play it to completion. I mean, the, the with a lot of these questions, the temptation is to not say portal. <laughs> oh, sorry. The, the challenge is not to not say portal because portal is the, the oh, answer shit. to so many questions people ask. Another game of don't say portal <laughs> ends in failure. Uh, the one that sprung to mind after I dismissed portal was a short hike. Mm. Because it isn't too long and it's got a very rewarding end, I thought. Uh, and yeah, you can get there. Like, cause to pick like a, a massive RPG would be a cruelty, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Pillars of Eternity. Yeah. Um, and even Outer Wilds. Uh, I was going to say Outer Wilds. I love Outer Wilds and you should play it, but forcing people to complete it. There are some, some legit reasons to be frustrated with that game at times. I think so. Although I think it's so rewarding that's why I was going to suggest it is like, it's in that category of like, um, if everyone who is given this game for free is also compelled to finish it, that's unless someone real bad, um, ocean willies, which is a legitimate reason to not finish it. Um, I feel like everyone would feel good about having got to the end of that. Hmm. Like it, it, it really feels like, you know, there's the puzzles are really rewarding. Like particularly if it was, and do so without, you know, looking at a wiki or getting help. Like it's one of, I mean, one of the many, many reasons it's very likely to be my game of the year is because it's, it's, it's all of its logic is so satisfying to come to understand. And that is the, like the reason I would choose it is because, um, it, the process of finishing it isn't just solving all of the problems in it or beating it or mastering all the mechanics. It's like a process of, uh, coming to an understanding of both the story and also the logic of, of its kind of little clockwork solar system. And that is such a joy to come to understand 
that the stipulation in this question that the people have to finish it actually becomes almost a positive. Like mm. I think Outer Wilds is a game people could feel like they understood quickly as they go, Oh, I fly around and I look at stuff. Cool. But like, it is so rewarding to come to understand how everything works that I would yeah. want that experience for a lot of people. If you maybe like, uh, a question, uh, that would be interesting is like, if you have like a little motivation potion and you get to give it to everybody who plays a certain game, which game do you get? Like, just make sure you get through this. Like, uh, just a little pick me up. Yeah. That's like, as in a sort of, or like a, yeah, like a, it's worth finishing this. What's the opposite of a curse? Like a boon that sort yeah. of guarantees someone will finish it. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, would you say it would be like almost like guarantees that someone will have like the optimal experience of finishing it? Like they, they, they figure out the answers right as they need them, that kind of thing. <laughs> or that, that would be great, but that might be, t- make it too easy. Mm. What would you answer? Just, this just thing? that like, cause the, it's interesting to consider which games are really where the ending really kind of pays off and you really are glad you got to it. Um, because that was not, I mean, actually that, that kind of was, it was, I thought of short hike because the ending is satisfying, but also because it's really easy to get to. Mm. Like, right. I was thinking like, if I'm going to force people to play this, then I want to pick something that's easy to get to the end of. But your logic was pick something where they might not otherwise get to the end of it. Yeah. Bayonetta, maybe hmm. for me. I think that has, uh, I do love escalation and that <laughs> game escalates really, really in a really entertaining way, but I could also understand why people just don't click with certain kinds of action games or, it gets yeah. quite hard, a lot of hard boss fights and things. So that's a game where I'd be, you know, um, very happy for people to get to see everything. I think there are also plenty of From Software and Souls games to which this applies as <laughs> well. But Bon, Sekiro. Yeah. But none of them end with you riding a motorbike up a flying skyscraper to fight God. So <laughs> Bayonetta. <laughs> Have you played Cyanide Wild Hearts? Not yet. It's very highly recommended, but I'm waiting because I still don't have a TV. And so I'm kind of waiting for uh, a big TV sort of experience. It's, yeah, riding motorbikes on improbable things is definitely a feature of that game. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm playing it, but I'm not, uh, getting on super well with it. Well, I, I appreciate, uh, it seems to be a good one of what it is, but what it is is not my kind of thing. And, but I keep hearing, I keep hearing things that are just like, what? This game is that? And so I think I'm just going to end up watching a YouTube playthrough because I like the music and I like, I like to see no, what it's what doing. It is briefly because I think, so Sinara Wild Hearts is the, it's, um, a rhythm music based game. Binkerbed res a lot, um, mm. where you are taken extremely quickly through some sort of cityscapes and forests and stuff, usually on a motorbike or a flying tarot card, uh, while Things attack you and you try and collect hearts and pop music plays and the levels are like literally 50 seconds long. <laughs> They're absurdly quick and you have very little time to react to anything. And that's, that's kind of my problem with it is I can't react fast enough. Um, and so it's, it's kind of trial and error for me. Um, but, uh, people are talking about it in like, it, it introduces new mechanics and throws them away very, very quickly, mm. which is true. As far as I've played, it hasn't got to anything mega interesting, but I keep hearing things that it, that it does. Yeah, I'm gonna. Is that not on PC yet? Is it? Question uh, mark. I don't know. <laughs> mm. It's on. I think it's an Apple Arcade. Yeah, it is. An, it's an Apple Arcade thing. And it's also out on PS4 at the moment because that's where Switch. I was playing it. Hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I've got this feeling that it will come to PC if it hasn't already. And if, if you have a Mac, I guess it's coming to that next month because that's when Apple Arcade stuff mm. arrives on Mac, I think. A final question for this evening comes from Gabe who writes, Dear Large Wooden Chest and Club of Crate Slaying plus three, which is funny because this question isn't about transporting us into a role-playing scenario, <laughs> but it's got the most appropriate intro. Um, in a recent episode, he writes, Tom Francis, that's you, devised a naming scheme for roguelikes in which the number of times that the word rogue appears tells you how much like rogue the game is, and the number of times the word like appears tells you how much the game uses modern conveniences. For example, a rogue rogue roguelike would be a game that is quite similar to the original rogue, with just a few modern game ideas. Under this naming convention, what genre of game is rogue? <laughs> is there a maximum number of times that the word rogue can appear in the description of a game? Or maybe each instance of the word rogue only gets you half of the remaining distance uh, to rogue, it, like uh, some Zeno's roguelike. In that case, I guess the genre of rogue would have to be rogue, 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 etc. Gabe. Tom, unpick this. The worst game classification idea you've ever had. One way to retcon it would be that, like, it's proportional. So however many rogues divided by how many of the likes you get, like, it's sort of, it's balanced relative. So then you can have as many or as few as you need. So, like, uh anything, like five rogues and 10 likes is equivalent to one rogue and two likes <laughs> but if they're uh if you need to be really specific and it's really more of a 30 30 th- no i'm trying to think of prime numbers <laughs> so i mean it's it's so it really functions it's a fraction it's rogue over like right? <laughs> that's that's yeah that's one one way to dodge this question <laughs> but i have to be honest that is not what i had in mind when i thought of this because uh, i was thinking that that you sometimes want to express the, the basically a roguelike is different to a rogue roguelike like <laughs> there could be something that's for any given game there could be something that's both more similar to rogue and has more modern conveniences um mm. so i think yeah but and that's not a rogue like that's a rogue 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 like 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 <laughs> yep uh getting ever closer to rogue without ever fully reaching rogue <laughs> uh under that system the name for rogue would be uh and i don't know how to say it out loud but i think it's Sigma, uh, rogue, zero, pointy line to infinity is the <laughs> mathematical symbol for where you have a series where you want to express the sum of all possible values within that series, but you can't actually write down them all because it goes on forever. Right. <laughs> yeah, we get just one of those um, Excel kind of like divide by row <laughs> yeah. bugs. I mean, the the interesting thing about that in maths is that it does have an answer like it's even though what you're writing is kind of impossible there is a way to know Mm. what the answer is uh limit as you tend towards infinity it's one of those things where like as you like you can't divide by zero but there are some things where as it tends towards zero it gets closer and closer to this value and there's also things in maths where it's like so it looks like when it's at zero would be that value and the mathematicians say no no no. (laughs) it can't ever be we don't know what that is if you divide by zero everything gets crazy would you would you say that the point where um, you're arguing that under this classification it is actually technically possible to resolve what the meaning of the genre would be, the genre classification system at that point may be too complicated? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not sure what you mean by that. <laughs> this is the most direct application of a massive philosophy degree I've ever seen. Got to use it for something. <laughs> uh I hope that answers that question. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, just hang on. Does this make Call of Duty a Doom clone, 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 clone? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is clone is the modern conveniences part. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, does that make Call of Duty a like, 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 like? <laughs> Loads no, makes, of modern conveniences nothing infinite, to do with Rogue. It makes it an infinite recursive like, <laughs> I guess. It's all modern conveniences. But I suppose, I mean, it, everything is infinitesimally like Rogue. If you can die, it's a little bit like Rogue. <laughs> Entitled Goose Game is nothing like Rogue. It's like almost completely persistent. You can't fail. And yeah. the action of most of the villains is, it's the, the most unlike a roguelike. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of what it is. Like the action of all of the, uh, AI in the game is to undo your progress without taking away your ability to reattempt it. Yeah. Which is the op, it is to give you second chances, which is the opposite of a, a roguelike. Huh. I don't know. That's not, really profound in any meaningful way but it <laughs> might be true <laughs> yeah so that would be a so goose game would actually be a like 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 like, 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 like. yeah because if, it has no rogue element because because even call of duty you would say you can die you can lose progress yeah. it is it is a f- tiny infinitesimal amount of rogue it'd be like and there's, there's rogue, combat for example yeah it'd be like rogue like like, 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 like. whereas goose game not so like I wonder how many likes <laughs> Goose Game gets. Uh, it does have a lot of modern conveniences. Yeah, I suppose it, I suppose it has a lot of modern conveniences. Yeah, what, it's very what, what would be its rogue elements? That's the thing, right? Like, to, in order to completely decouple the two. Like, I suppose, I don't know. I feel like Monument Valley has the most likes. <laughs> it's the most convenient game. It's just, it almost plays itself. It's so intuitive and so slick and so, and it's on touchscreen devices. So that's modern. Uh, it's, it's just extremely slick and easy to play and just kind of, you just go through it. And, uh, also it has almost nothing to do with like, with Rogue. <laughs> also has nothing to do with like. Valve, if you're listening. Steam Labs. Add a slider that is rogue on one end and like on the other. Or, or two sliders, one for rogue and one for like. So you, or a graph, a two-dimensional oh, graph. No, it's too complicated. Plot a position on the rogue-like two-dimensional space and return me games that fit that. It's how many times have people tagged oh, no, with rogue shit. and how many times have people tagged with like. Now we have like a four-dimensional, maybe even a 3D volume with rogue and like and doom and clone. <laughs> If, okay, so if you, you could do it with existing data by how many players have tagged it with Rogue, uh, versus how many players have liked it <laughs> in reviews. But let's not. In fact, let's stop. <laughs> Sorry. Let's just not in general. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, or indeed just a prompt to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, or a a way of making this genre classification system um, useful as anything except a kind of several glasses in kind well, of thought exercise. Suggestions for other pairs of two words that you could use mm. to two-dimensionally rank games. Yeah, EA and sports. <laughs> it's more of an EA, 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 sports, sports, sports. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot of games that are very EA and not at all sports. <laughs> like Mass Effect. Yeah, but there's a little bit of sports because they're probably, you know, you know, you can run around. You're dressed in football armor. American football armor. I don't know. Um, all I do know is that it's in the game. Um, you can do that by emailing us at questions at com. You can also tweet us at 
crate and crowbar thank you as ever to our patreon supporters um you know who you are and if you don't know that about yourself but you'd like to <laughs> then you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar we have a youtube channel youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar there's nothing on there except episodes of this podcast which you've now listened to so <laughs> um discord community remains lovely you can find a link to the discord on our website crate and all that remains are the handles of Twitter. I'm at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Tom? I'm at Pentadact. P-E-N-T-A-D-A-C-T. Lovely. Thanks oh, for listening. Blah, 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 blah. It's weird when there's only two of us. <laughs> yeah. You need to kick off any. The worst would be if you were just doing a solo podcast. Because <laughs> everyone would hear exactly how that. you say it. I've done that and I can't remember what I did at the end. <laughs> also, my voice is going, so we really should go now. Bye. <laughs>